Hashtag dear listeners, we are the Coda, and you are listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Ruffin Show! And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Ruffin Show. Hello, hello, hello. Hashtag dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, wrestling fans of all ages. <laughs> Welcome to the whole Reffin show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. It's episode 130. We've been doing this for 130 episodes. Who's been doing it? Well, for starters, me, myself, and I. I'm Darren Beasley, and as always, always, not even one time has it not been, not only is it Darren Beasley, but it's also Perry Smith, and that's the first time you haven't referred to yourself as the incredible badass that is Darren Beasley. No, 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 I'd only do it at the end. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, it it sort of is, but uh, hashtag never forget. That's actually uh, popped up uh, last week. If anybody else in their Facebook memories <laughs> has uh, our rant against uh, Paul Lazenby and Don Callis, that was a year ago, a year and a week ago. Wow. But uh, here we are. It's a new year. It's a new week. It's episode 130, and the whole reference show keeps on trucking, baby. We are uh, – I would say that we're, <laughs> we're here week in and week out, but, uh, you know – Sometimes it, it turns into 10, 12 days. Not always a, not always seven days strict. But uh, speaking of strict, uh, Shane Strickland. Oh, I saw that. I could smell that segue come from a mile away, Darren. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about Shane Strickland. We know now that he is in NXT. And uh, I think he's going to, unfortunately, he's coming in with a few classes. And they're uh, all name change happy. So get ready for a rebranding there, Swerve. Um, comments about John Cena retiring. Actually, a lot of comments. And turns out it was all based on one single comment Cena made himself. And it seems like it was blown entirely out of proportion. Kenta, yes, Kenta has returned to his homeland. The land of the rising sun, Kenta Known in the WWE as Hideo Itami. And Perry, I've got one question for you. Yes. In the style of in the style of William Regal, don't they ask Hideo Itami? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about the Hideo Itami joke. Thank you for reminding me. Well, as William Regal would like to know, don't they ask Hideo Itami? And the answer is <laughs> <laughs> the Wendy's drive through we came up with <laughs> I, you know I don't know what is oh. that? <laughs> why is it Rico looking for a day with Tommy and why is he speaking Spanish donde esta Hideo with Tommy Hideo with Tommy donde esta Hideo with Tommy ah there we go 
It's over. And that last one, that last Hideo Tommy, that sounded more like, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, the ball dude, the Jason swimmer. Uh, Jason Statham. Wow. Right. Wow. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, it sounded a lot like Jason Statham. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Misters or Seniors, if you will, Seniors Regal and Statham. Ezeo um, Itami es uh, a Dominion, oh. uh, New Japan Wrestling. See, si, see. Si. Uh, we also want to take a moment on this week's episode to talk about dear friend of the show. Uh, I feel like we came up together. We came up together in this weird, wild, wacky, wonderful world of wrestling. The whole reference show and Effie. So we're going to take a few minutes to talk about Effie uh, here on uh, reflecting on his birthday, which was just a few days ago. Um, then, speaking of Dominion, we have to talk about Dominion uh, in, its, uh, in all of its glory. New Japan Pro Wrestling's latest pay-per-view offering. And then, <laughs> and then we're going to close out the show talking about the Super Showdown. Um, well, it was a showdown. I don't know how super. <laughs> I don't know how super it was. Um, remember how we said that all we always talked badly about these Saudi shows until afterward, and then we were like, "No, it's pretty good. It was actually pretty good." Yeah, yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion, and you and I have not spoken a single word about Super Showdown to one another. So this is going to be, for a shoot, off the cuff, in your face. There's no telling uh, how alike or perhaps even dissimilar our opinions are going to turn out to be about Super Showdown. But I'll tell you this much. They are going to be raw and uncensored. They're not going to be SmackDown and uncensored. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, um, yeah, no, absolutely, and I'm glad I'm I'm glad that you pointed that out uh, because I, I think a lot of our our listeners might think like, oh, they talk about it, then they talk about it again. Like, if you and I watch the show, we don't discuss the show until we actually record because we don't want to like try to replicate a conversation. Or, you know, like, I, I don't want to make the same joke twice and you have to go, oh, ha, 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 ha. You know, I, I don't want to do that. So if you and I go, like, did you watch, you know, we'll say Super Showdown. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. Oh, man, that Taker Goldberg match. Oh, my God. The part. No, 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 no. Save it. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. So we, 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 well, get, we, we legitimately give you the the first time responses. So just know that we don't we don't we don't rehearse conversations. So there you go. Yeah, it's funny uh, for uh, like a, a fly on the wall would be able to to corroborate that story, which is, is very true, that while we're sitting here doing what little pre-production we do, we <laughs> of all the talking that we're doing, it's not about the show, really. Usually it's about, I don't know, somebody that one of us ran into. Like, you know, because I live in our hometown, so it's, oh, guess which dumbass that we used to know I ran into. But <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are some non-dumbass ones, too. There are some nice people. Oh, there's, sure, well, sure. there's plenty of wonderful people. Sure, sure. And then, of course, you know, then on your end of things, uh, people that I may have met while when I lived in Los Angeles. Sure, or sure. Some of, our, some of our good mutual friends that live out there. Usually that's part of the conversation or maybe something about a Marvel movie or 
Right, or or, or what 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 latest Instagram model is Darren uh, potentially seeing? Uh, yeah, so it's all that. <laughs> Inspired by true events. Oh, folks, you have no idea how how much inspiration is there. Uh, so yeah, that's true, folks. So you you get the the authentic uh, reactions for these shows. We save them just for you uh, because again, I don't like having the same conversation over and over again. So we try to do it once. We get it right the first time. But you and I, Darren, can't give our genuine first time ever. You see how I did that? Uh, I gotcha. Reactions time ever. Reactions to WWE Super Showdown. Until we talk about those. Headlines. Shane Strickland. He's in NXT. He's been uh, <laughs> he's been everywhere, man. <laughs> seriously, uh, very seriously though, Shane Strickland has been everywhere in the last three years uh, that we've been paying attention to him. We have had the pleasure of seeing him wrestle. Uh, at Fest Wrestling, uh, I know that we, we've seen him uh, wrestle for Defy. We've seen him wrestle for MLW. I mean, where hasn't this guy wrestled? Um, every single indie, like you know, I, going especially on Instagram, scrolling through the whole Ref and Show Instagram feed, like let's say 18 months ago, every poster, every indie poster had Shane Strickland on it. Sure, you know, and um, you know, still wrestling for everybody in the WWN network, I guess, like Evolve and um, uh, Ronan and then wrestling for like Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment, I think. And uh, I mean, really, Shane Strickland was everywhere and he was everywhere for a reason. But now he's in NXT and that name is going to go the way of the Dodo, at least until he makes his prison break like John Moxley. Um, but we'll just have to see because John Moxley was Dean Ambrose for so, so long that there's an entire generation out there that think that he is John Moxley for the first time. So what, if any generational gap will there be between Shane Strickland fans and Isaiah Scott fans? Because that is the new name. Shane Strickland rebranded, renamed in NXT as Isaiah Scott. Interestingly enough, they left the swerve part in there. He gets uh, swerve in quotation marks between the Isaiah and the Scott. We will see if it's the king of swerve or if swerve is just the nickname. Uh, what do you think about this whole Name change for this guy at this time and, and this choice of name. Well, I remember uh, being that I run the Twitter account. Uh, Shane Strickland's a guy that pops up quite a bit. Uh, you know, people retweeting him and uh, liking his stuff, stuff he says on the Twitter. Um, but I remember when we were seeing a lot of indie shows, primarily when we got really into Fest Wrestling, um, which Shane Strickland has been at uh, many occasions, uh, people were all like, uh, Leo Rush, Leo Rush, Leo Rush. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw Shane Strickland and I said, hey, there's a taller Leo Rush right there. Uh, 
And um, Shane Strickland is one of those unfortunate cases where it's perfect right off the bat. You know, his his name is awesome. His fucking, uh, his gimmick is awesome. His attitude is perfect. His fucking interest music is perfect. So now that I see him doing things that are not that, he's not named that, he's not coming out to fucking Shaka Khan, it's, it's already something I'm not looking forward to. More, I mean, I'm over the moon happy for this guy because if there's a guy who's put in the work, who definitely has the talent, it is Shane Strickland for sure. Um, and someone who will hopefully do well because luckily he, he moves like a cruiserweight. He's got size though. He does have size, something that really was... Uh, uh, something going against Leo Rush, I'll say, in his WWE uh, career. But uh, anyway, people were like, Leo Rush, Leo Rush. And I was like, oh man, Shane Strickland, Shane Strickland. And I was right. Um, <laughs> so, But uh, I, like I said, I'm happy for him. And NXT is going to thrive. I can't wait to watch him fight like Adam Cole. I want to see him fight all kinds of people. I'd like to see him eventually fight like Aleister Black if he ever got up to the main rosters. Plenty of people that I would love to see Shane Strickland fight, but... At the same time, you just now nowadays I just worry. Like, how are they going to ruin this once he goes to the main roster? Because he he is main roster bound. I don't think it's going to be long for him to go through that NXT machine. Uh, so there are there are doubts, but uh, I will enjoy watching him wrestle in the meanwhile. No, I agree. I, I think the number one thing that NXT will probably try and do is put some um, some uh, some meat on his bones. Sure. Uh, Strickland is, I mean, he's he's cut up. He, he he's definitely a specimen. But even their really lightweight guys, they like him to have a certain beefiness to them. And the thing is, I feel like Strickland could probably put on ten or fifteen pounds of muscle and still be under the two hundred five weight limit. And hell, put on twenty five pounds of muscle, break the two hundred five limit. Don't be a cruiserweight. Go on up to Raw and go after the IC belt. I mean, sure. you know, sky's the limit for Shane Strickland based on his ability. Um, I guess I better get used to saying Isaiah Scott. Um, and uh, I- Isaiah Scott, I think we'll have to see how the name, you know, works once he starts actually portraying whoever Isaiah Scott really is. But I think the inclusion of Swerve means he's going to be exactly the same. That they hired the guy, they hired Shane Strickland because he's Swerve. They want him to still be Swerve, but probably they don't want him to be Shane because of Shane McMahon. That makes sense, but at the same time, you have Adam Cole, when one of your commentators is Michael Cole. I mean, there are a lot of, like, you know, things. That actually probably is a really good point. And also, we talk about it many times before when someone changes their name. It's a good thing. That means they can't own the rights to Shane Strickland once Shane Strickland leaves WWE. So that is that is a good thing. So the name changes. I, I get it for, you know, property uh, owning reasons. I, I totally understand that. So, But again, I, I think I'm most concerned about, like, uh, what's the music going to be? Because <laughs> ain't nobody... Come on, Darren. Come on. And and and, and so the whole reason this is a headline and the whole reason we're talking about this is the name change, which of course forces me to think they've just changed his name to Isaiah Swerve Scott. So now it's just a matter of waiting for the other shoe to drop, meaning waiting for the other names to drop. So when he does get to the main roster, 
whether we like his music, whether we like his gimmick, whether we like his direction or not, he's not going to be Isaiah Swerve Scott on SmackDown on Fox this fall for very long. Uh, let's just hope that it's better than not good. I mean, if I, I mean, I just don't want, I don't want him to just be Isaiah. Uh, someone whose name is just Isaiah. If they don't have some sort of like religious process, I was going to say like, or like some sort of like Amish gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then, then that's a terrible name. Scott is a truly terrible name to be your only name. And Swerve... <laughs> Take that, Scots of the world. <laughs> is, Swerve just isn't enough of a name. So Right, right. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Uh, but like you said, the, the great part is, if he ever has to seek that escape hatch uh, and go back to the indie world or maybe jump to AEW or New Japan, and boy, we are really putting the cart before the horse here. Um, <laughs> at least, he can, at least he can go back and uh, and do so as Shane Strickland, uh, and not have to worry about losing his identity uh, to Vince McMahon's, uh, you know, steel trap. Sure, he- le- steel legal trap. He might go the way of Mark Henry and be the inside one of those nifty twenty-year guaranteed contracts that uh, Mark Henry had. So. For all we know, this guy, he, he might have a long run in WWE. But again, yes, we are getting ahead of ourselves. So the name change did take place. But again, just seeing Shane Strickland wrestle on a grander stage, uh, that by itself, it, it is pretty cool. So Another guy who has had a very lengthy career in the WWE is uh, apparently being painted into a corner by that... <laughs> Most upstanding and reputable news sources, TMZ. Of course, we're talking about John Cena and TMZ trying to paint John Cena into a corner where he will make some, you know, headline worthy statement like, I'm retiring from in ring competition. Well, guess what? Gasp, shock. Oh no, they're right. They've done it. TMZ got that headline, and now it's one of our headlines. TMZ went to John Cena, who knows where, probably chased him down the street outside of a restaurant, and made mention of the Goldberg-Undertaker match, which we're going to talk about uh, later for Super Showdown, and the fact that a lot of people were calling for Goldberg and Undertaker to officially retire. Uh, which prompted TMZ to ask John Cena what he thought about that. Of course, he gave the you know an extremely diplomatic response to that, um, so as to not bury any of the boys or get any you know bring any heat down on himself. Wait, wait, which sure is very I'm, unbecoming of John Cena, by the way. Well, yeah, and but I, I'm sure he's probably friends or at least friendly with those two guys. And so he's not going to, you know, bury them, especially with a totally non-wrestling news outlet like TMZ. He basically tried to get away from the question about Goldberg and Undertaker retiring. So uh, he kind of turned it into this very bland, vague answer. So then TMZ hit him with, are you retiring? And he said, well, there have been times where I have considered it. 
And all of a sudden, the headline became, John Cena finished with WWE? Question mark? And the question mark, they think, is a get-out-of-jail-free card that they give themselves. In reality, it's just really sad, shoddy, yellow, sensationalist journalism. And uh, it's just garbage. What are those clickbait uh, hyperlink uh, texts? That's what they do, Darren. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's probably a, a picture of John Cena looking confused. And then there's a bunch of red circles all over him with arrows pointing at nothing. Uh, God, well, I, I, those? I, hate, I, I hate that so much, Darren. You have no idea. Um, well, what is that supposed to be? I, I, it's always like, things you missed in the uh, new Avengers trailer. And it's a circle and it's pointing to like Captain America. Did you see Captain America? He's in the movie. That, right, they're always they're a hundred percent bullshit. Sure, but it works. It works because things like Avengers and unfortunately things like wrestling uh, get a lot of clicks. Darren, um, did you miss Captain America? Did you see him? He was in there, red circles. Uh, so yeah, obviously the TMZ. I mean, it's TMZ. They're gonna they're gonna put something up like that blow out of proportion just for the sake of blowing out of proportion and then the end of it going, well, he did say this, but still, who knows? You know, check out this article. Did you see Captain yeah, America and the New Avengers? <laughs> <laughs> it's complete garbage. It's absolutely a complete waste of time. And dear listeners, we will not waste any more of your precious time talking about it at this time because he's not retiring. He's not thinking about retiring. He's not hinting at retiring. PMZ just made a mountain out of a molehill. We're only mentioning it at all because we are the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. And for any of you who are clicking on the red circles to see if Captain America was in the latest Avengers movie, <laughs> I'll tell you this, spoiler alert, he was. He was. In fact, I there were two of them. So, yes, Captain America fights Captain America. Oh, that's true. Are, are we are we out of the spoiler zone? Can we talk about like Endgame and stuff? Sure, sure. I think so. By now, sure. Okay. So the only person who's retiring in this scenario is Captain America because <laughs> right at at the end of Endgame, essentially he decided to retire from superheroing, and uh, um, yeah. So that's weird. Uh, isn't that a weird like they give you like in addition to Oh my God! It's the end of Endgame. It's the end of this saga. It's the end of all this first major wave of Marvel movies uh, in the cinematic universe, and it's the end of everything like Steve Rogers and, and Tony uh, Stark and all that. But also, do you get that extra, extra like sinking feeling in your gut? When it's like, for everybody else, it was 30 seconds, but for Steve, it was 70 or 80 years or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Also, like, he had to watch 9-11 happen. Like, like, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, he had to not intervene and let everything happen exactly the way it happened, so that's kind of interesting, yeah. too. I thought about that. Hey, speaking of comics, Darren, I thought about this the other day. You'll appreciate this. Uh, yeah. So, so giant-sized X-Men... Right when when they announced the new team, the quote all different, all new X Men. Right, 
Right. And on the I think I might know where you're going. Okay, yeah, no, you probably know where I'm going with this. And on the cover of that issue of X-Men, it's it's the old team looking astonished and, and ghastly because they're surprised because the new team is bursting out of the bottom, right? The all-new, all-new, ready? All-new, all-new. All all new. First all, time ever. First, first time ever, all-new. All different, right? All different. You All different. Good luck finding a shred of same... Because it is, it is all different, Darren. So, Darren, why Cyclops on both teams? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was where you were going with that. That's a great question. And here's the, uh, the, the way I look at it is I imagine that it's like um, the, the Cyclops from the original X-Men. That he's just like... He's fa- like all the rest of the original X Men are like actually surprised, but he's just trying to pretend to be surprised. <laughs> actually, he knows what's up. Right, right. Like since he know, like he's like, oh, I'm already a part of the new team. So he's like, oh wow, look <laughs> at that. Can you believe that Wolver? What? I don't know what that is. But uh, that wow, that man's made of metal. <laughs> Anyway, that had to be brought up. Uh, so thank you for knowing what I was uh, what I was going for there. Uh, speaking of Colossus, uh, men made of metal. Uh, not really. Kenta! Oh, man. I was truly curious where you were going to go with oh, that. Oh, I was, I was going nowhere with that. Kenta. Kenta and the Santa Marina. <laughs> the, the Nina. The Nina, the Kenta, and the Santa Maria. Uh, no, no. Kenta has returned to New Japan Pro Wrestling, Darren. Formerly, the artist formerly known as Hideo Itomi. And Donde Esta, Hideo Itomi. Uh, before that, he was the artist formerly known as Kenta. And now he is presently the artist who was formerly known as Hideo Itomi and Kenta. So now he's Kenta. Kenta's back in New Japan, Darren. I'm very confused now. Um, <laughs> at least he's not the artist. Right. Known as Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh... Which means... He's no longer a Japanese superstar misused by Vince McMahon and friends. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, and, you, and you mentioned Shinsuke just now, making a joke, obviously. But uh, WWE, or I'll say WWE, but I mean, really, literally Triple H. Triple H had big plans for Kenta, a.k.a. Hideo Itami. You can tell, like, what Shinsuke Nakamura became, that's kind of what the plan was for Hideo Itami. But Hideo Itami just kept getting injured. Um, so it kind of took him out of it. So it was hard to kind of get behind him because he just disappeared for such long stints of time. Um, but I guess that's the way it goes. No one's fault except for Riddick Moss. (laughs) Take that, Riddick Moss. (laughs) I I think, did the original version of Kenta, like the pro wrestling Noah version, uh, did Kenta, did it come with an exclamation point? Was it... Always Kenta! I think it was was always... uh, Exclamation point, Kenta. Or Kenta exclamation point. Uh, Anyway, so Kenta debuted uh, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Did not return to Pro Wrestling, Noah. Did not return to any of the companies of his Japanese wrestling roots. But instead, debuted for New Japan Pro Wrestling. The undisputed leader... Uh, in Japanese pro wrestling, and uh, I think pretty much inarguably 
the second largest pro wrestling company in the world. Um, and so I think Kenta made the right decision going to New Japan and not going back to what others might consider the minor leagues of Japanese wrestling. He go, He's going straight to the top. Uh, he was introduced by Katsuyori Shibata, who, of course, uh, is the New Japan wrestler who unfortunately collapsed uh, sometime last year after a particularly vicious series of headbutts um, that caused him to have swelling of his brain and had to have, uh, like, open brain surgery, or the skull removed. Shibata probably never going to wrestle again, which is unfortunate for fans of him as a wrestler, which there are many, many, many. But uh, I think it's very smart that he and his doctors have decided, you know what? Let's keep this fellow alive. Um, nevertheless, New Japan does like to have him appear every now and then. He draws a lot of uh, a, a lot of heat, uh, the very best kind. And I think it was very a good call to have him come out and introduce Kenta. Um, it, it added something a little bit different. And of course, Kenta not only returning to Japan, not only coming to the biggest Japanese wrestling company introduced by Katsuyori Shibata, but also appearing to say, I want in on the G1 Climax tournament. Um, big deal. I mean, of course, it was Dominion, so it was the week and the weekend for that, explicitly for that purpose. If everybody who wants in on the G1 tournament is going to start making, them, making that known uh, to the public, and, and so we can start setting up the, the tournament brackets, uh, which will, of course, lead to the G1 Climax later in the summer, which, of course, the winner of that always faces the IWGP champion in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom. So already putting into motion are a lot of plans for New Japan that will culminate half a year from now at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but Kenta, I think he's in the right spot for himself. I think he, he's going to do far, far better New Japan than he was doing uh, on 205 Live. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, he's smart because he knows he kind of wasted a lot of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and they welcomed him, I'm sure, with open arms um, because they need to rebuild. They need to kind of fill in the gaps that, uh, you know, the Omegas, the Cody's, the Young Bucks left uh, in their roster. Uh, we we kind of forget that uh, that happened and those guys are not wrestling for them. And that, uh, yeah, I mean, New Japan is, is oozing with talent, but you need to bring in some some stars, maybe some some big stars and uh, maybe a couple more Gaijin, too. Uh, in fact, they've done that because old John Moxley has also made his way over to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Obviously, kind of a similar deal to what... Um, at least what Jericho has, which is like, just kind of show up and do what I want, and I show up and I get a belt? Oh, great. Oh, yeah. A lot of those main event slots are lousy with Gaijin. Right. Uh, so there is no shortage uh, of Gaijin over in New Japan at this time. Uh, but they definitely need to reload. And when we're speaking about reloading, I definitely mean pun intended here. The Bullet Club is running dangerously low on ammunition. I mean, with Tamatanga, it doesn't get much more OG than that. 
But uh, and it doesn't get much cooler than the the Switchblade, <laughs> who is now the leader of the Bullet Club. But everywhere in between, they're running a little light. Uh, when we start talking about Dominion, particularly the match that featured the Bullet Club, I got a few more things to say about it. But uh, I'll stop for now. But you're absolutely right. New Japan as a whole is an amazing company with a brilliant product and top notch the very top, the very tippy top of wrestling uh, as a sport happening in their company. Nevertheless, they need some stars. You're right. Stars are, they need to reload on stars. Uh, so Kenta might be uh, another part of that, like you said, in addition to Moxley and Jericho and, and, that, and that whole thing. And now, dear listeners, we are going to take this opportunity that is Perry and myself, Darren, we're going to take this moment to speak uh, about a hashtag friend of the show, a hashtag dear listener, and a hashtag wrestling superstar, if ever there were one. And we're, we're, we're speaking out to and we're going to speak about the feminist icon the golden boy of grab ass. We want to celebrate here on the birthday and during pride month for Effie. Effie, we love you, buddy. And we are here to celebrate you. We want to just take a few minutes out of our show this week to uh, revisit anything and everything that Effie means to the whole reference show. Uh, Perry, you, you want to just say something real quick uh, about Effie? Oh man, what is there? What is there to be said about Effie that has not been said on this show? We've praised Effie uh, from day one, and uh, I think you you put up a very nice thing about him on our Instagram uh, about his birthday and about Effie, about the man behind Effie, uh, and you called him, I believe, a quasar. I did. And I, I think that might be the, first of all, very well put and uh, put very eloquently uh, and, and very well as you tend to do because you are a good writer. I'll, I'll toot that horn. I don't, I, don't, I don't toot that horn enough, Darren. You are a good writer. But it's not about you, Darren. It's not about you. But a quasar. No, 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 this is about Effie. A quasar might be the best possible way to describe Effie. Um, because. He shouldn't, I don't know what this sounds like, but he shouldn't be as big as he is already. You know what I mean? Like, this guy has put in so much effort into his career. And, you know, he's he's the fastest retweeter on Twitter, this side of the Mississippi, Darren. And, and, <laughs> and I, I have to say, probably on the other side as well, the fastest liker slash retweeter. I, I, I don't know, I don't know what kind of alerts he has on his phone, but uh, he's really good. At, uh, at the reciprocal likes and, and retweets. But um, beyond that, I mean, his social media game is top-notch. His promo game is is top-notch. Uh, his wrestling ability is there as well. He can back it all up with that. And just everyone wants to everyone wants to, to know him. Everyone wants to potentially be him. Uh, everyone wants to kill him in the nice possible way. Uh, the best possible way, that is. And uh, everyone respects him. Uh, that guy, that guy is all about some hustle, man. I mean, if if looking at Effie and all that he's done, the short amount of time that he's existed in the wrestling business, it makes a whole lot of his peers pretty fucking lazy looking. I will say that um, because this guy, this guy knew that he could 
put so much effort into his career and get a lot further along than where he was, and he did that. And he put more effort than I've seen anyone put in. Um, so, man, I, I, I can only say the, the best possible things about Deffy. Love that guy to death. And also, and, and also, and, and, and in spite of all, all this fame, still, still super nice guy. Super nice dude. Uh, he's an absolute sweetheart, and he is a dear friend of the show. That goes without saying. I'm glad you said it, but it, it goes without saying. Uh, and you're absolutely right. The thing about Effie is that he is going to outwork. He is going to out-hustle. He is going to out-wrestle. He is going to out-talk. He is going to out-shine. He is going to out-merch. He is going to out-travel. And he is going to outwork you and your favorite wrestler. He just <laughs> is going to do it. Effie Sports entertains. Effie wrestles. Effie promos. And he does it at a level that is incredibly high. And it was that high from day one. All right. And what was and, and what was day one, Effie, for us? Do you remember? The first show we saw him at was not Fest Wrestling. No. No, you you hashtag your listeners might recall he is the one that told us about Fest Wrestling when we had him on our show, uh, our very first interview with Effie, before we knew him, which is kind of weird to think about a time not knowing Effie. It was Sunbelt Wrestling Entertainment. That's right. It was a show in Tift County, Georgia, uh, a show that we attended specifically for the purpose of interviewing James Ellsworth in person, which we did, and it was a pretty excellent interview, actually. Sure. Um, who knew that on that night, while sitting there uh, basically wanting to follow up like any good journalist, we got our interview. Now let's watch the man perform in person, that man, of course, being James Ellsworth. Instead, we leave talking about Effie, and I'm sliding my can of Surge into a Kill Effie koozie, which has got uh, brass knuckles on it. Um, and I've got my uh, Effie Panther sticker. And uh, it was the first time we got to meet Tom. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mr. Champagne. And, uh, uh, you know, that was the Effie went out of his way to come shake my hand, even though. I had not, he was not even near his merch table. Um, and I, and so all of that combined, you know, you and I came back and said, all right, so we've interviewed SoCal Val and James Ellsworth and like people that are, have, have been some places and are doing some, some big, big things. Maybe we need to, to interview people like Effie, um, which as a matter of fact, Saying that sentence to one another, we would have been saying Effie Gibbs uh, at the time. Right. And as a matter of fact, when we introduced him at the very beginning of our interview, the very first time he was on the show, we introduced him as Effie Gibbs because we did not know until he told us on that uh, it, during that interview that he was in the process of dropping Gibbs from the name. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really funny to go back and look at my notes. First of all, I don't I, over half of the questions that I wrote on my notes, I can't read them anymore because I so thoroughly scribbled them out. I guess as we were asking them, I was scribbling certain ones out. 
Um, but it's funny to see some of the things that I had uh, come up with to ask Effie Gibbs, this person, this entity, uh, this wrestler we did not know and we're desperately trying to get to know. Um, you know, very simple things like uh, who are some of your wrestling inspirations? When did you decide you wanted to be a wrestler? How did you train? Um, but then I see some questions that really worked well and I think established an immediate connection between us and Effie, one that lasts to this day. And questions like, do you live this gimmick? Is this a gimmick? Is wrestling performance art? What is sex to you? Is sex theater? Like, I'm looking at these questions and I was like, these are pretty intuitive questions to be asking. Uh, and the thing is, a lot of these questions might not have flown very far with certain indie wrestlers. But for someone like Effie, who has been so... Who, who has had who Effie is figured out for so long, he was ready for all these questions. In fact, we may not have even been as ready for his responses as he was ready for these questions. Sure. I mean, Effie, since, ever since then, that was a while ago now. That was, that was you know... <laughs> almost, was, almost three years ago. Yeah, that was three pickles ago, Darren. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's been on dozens of podcasts ever since, and every time I see that he's on a new podcast, I have to kind of turn my nose up and go, "Huh, oh, that's very interesting, very interesting." Huh? Go, go, go! Podcast with your real friends, Effie. No, I'm kidding, Effie. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, no, it's great. Just uh, he's obviously very well spoken, uh, and he'll give you honest answers. He doesn't sugarcoat, uh, and I've always appreciated that as well. I mean, he's always been honest. Like whenever we're at shows, we're watching him. He'll come after the show and, and be like, uh, "Did the this did did the this spot turn out well?" You know what I mean? Like, and and he, he seems to value our feedback, which I think is always very nice and very cool. Um, and I will always obviously give it to it and be very honest as well. Um, so it's just I don't know. Effie treats you. A lot of wrestlers don't treat you as people. <laughs> they kind of treat you as like a fan. Or I'm not really sure how to describe it. I'm sure a lot of you fans, when you meet wrestlers after after a show, it's kind of it's very strange. It's like you're not talking to a person; you're talking to like a character or something like that. And I don't mean someone who's just like in character, but like Effie. Effie treats you like a person. He did, you know, the first time we met him at that show. You know, the first time we had him on our show, you know, we interviewed him. Anytime we see him at Fest, anytime we hang out with him at Lucy's afterwards or Lucy's before a Fest wrestling show. And that's just always been cool. He's kind of just become our buddy. So, I mean, and that's, that's, I, I really appreciate that. I absolutely do. And I know exactly what you mean from the very start. Effie uh, treated us uh, like kings. And, uh, and, and we, we treated him like, uh, well, like a queen, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be okay. Which is that. exactly what he is. He is the queen of our hearts. And, uh, and a real fucking badass. Like, uh, you know, he's a, he's an excellent dude. He's an excellent person. And he is an exceptional talent. And the thing is, while he has grown as a performer, he's grown right alongside us as podcasters and us as wrestling journalists. We frequently, over these 130 episodes, have made comparisons to this podcast, to the career of Effie, and to the organization known as Fest Wrestling. They all kind of 
sprung up around the same time, and they all were sort of inexorably linked uh, in the summer and fall of 2016. And even though Fest Wrestling had roots older than that, Effie had been wrestling longer than that, and you and I had been friends and wrestling fans far longer than this podcast existed, there was a certain weird synergy that was happening that summer, that fall, and into that winter of 2016 that makes Effie and Fest and the whole reference show a really uh, special concoction. Now, what has been truly amazing is to watch Effie accomplish all that he has accomplished. And that's one of the very first things you said uh, a few minutes ago, which is he's done more than you think he should have been able to do. Exactly. And and it's constant and it's and it continues to grow. And I am telling you right now, in the same way that we knew Effie would be a star, all signs point to WrestleMania week next year in Tampa, Florida. I feel the way that Joey Janela broke out a couple of years ago because of, uh, you know, co-opting or piggybacking or whatever you want to call it with Joey Janela's spring break. I think that being in the state of Florida, being in Effie's adopted home state, and being in Tampa with all of the wrestling world there, Effie is going to explode in Tampa Bay next year around WrestleMania 36. Um, I am so happy that you and I and the whole ref and show are, were in on the ground floor of what Effie is uh, because he really is poised to be a, a hugely impactful part of pro wrestling uh, for years to come. Uh, and, and I'm so excited to, to be a witness to it. And uh, I really can't wait to have Effie back on to, to talk about everything. We really, he, golly, since that very first interview, he's been on the show, what, 10 times, a dozen times? Sure, sure. Uh, I'm ready to have Effie back on, and let's treat it like the first time. You know, uh, like the Flaming Lips said, hit me like you did the first time. And uh, I was going to say, feels like the first time. Feels like the very first time. Well, there you go. Other 1980s, 1990s Warner Brothers records signings. <laughs> yes. But I, yeah, I want Effie back on the show because we need to talk to him about, uh, again, we need to treat it like it's coming from scratch and get the, get the skinny and get the fat on, on all things Effie. But yeah, in closing, Effie, happy birthday, happy Pride Month, happy career growth. Thank you for being our friend. Uh, continued best wishes. Uh, and yes, you you represent a, a very, very important part of, uh, of pro wrestling here uh, in the 20 teens. You represent a very bright and shining part uh, of our culture, of the zeitgeist right now. And uh, there is no other way to describe you than, than a quasar. So you, uh, you are our quasar, Effie, and uh, good day to you. Absolutely. All the best, Effie, I and mean, you have a very bright future because, again, you are a quasar. And maybe if the MCU brings in the, the character Quasar, you could be a front-runner to play him. Um, and that's it, folks. 
That's it for our headlines. Uh, as Darren mentioned before, we do need to crack open the nut that was New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion, uh, where a lot went on, but not as much as it typically does. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that as we get into it. Well, what are we waiting for, Darren? Let's talk about Dominion. This is the most marketable corporate-sponsored sports entertainer of our or any generation, the hashtag feminist icon, E-F-F-Y-F-E. And you're listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reffin' show. On the 9th of June, 2019, at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, from Osaka Joe Hall in Osaka, Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling brought their second biggest show of the year, Dominion. The Dominion pay-per-view always live from Osaka Joe Hall. 12,000 people in attendance. Of course, I watched it on New Japan Pro Wrestling World, the streaming service that you can get for uh, whatever, 999 yen or 9,000. I don't, I don't know. Although I will say sneaky PayPal charging me 31 cents extra for an international transaction for me to pay New Japan. Uh, that's how they get you, Darren. That's how they get you. They get you 31 cents at a time. That That's going to add up. <laughs> Kevin Kelly and Don Callis are on commentary, uh, providing the English commentary for New Japan. Speaking of the incredible badass... That is Darren Beasley and our feud <laughs> last year with Paul Lazenby. Um, Paul Lazenby, is that right? Paul Lazenby, yes. What was the uh, George Lazenby? That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. George Lazenby was the the one and done James Bond uh, that was so bad they had to bring <laughs> Sean Connery back for one more. Well, you know George Lazenby wasn't really an actor at all, right? He, he just he just saw the the Bond movies that Connery did and said, "Man, that guy gets all the chicks. I want to do that." So we went to a, a hand-me-down shop that had the same exact suit that uh, Connery wore in one of the Bond films. He bought it, wore it to th at the office that uh, it's produced by two people. I forget their names, Broccoli and someone else. I forget the other guy's name, but he went to one of their offices and basically snuck in. And, and met up with the, the producer and said, like, so you're looking for a new James Bond, huh? Well, here I am. And <laughs> it wasn't until later, uh, like, at a, at a meeting talking about the doing the movie that uh, he, he admitted, look, I'm not really an actor. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, I just want to be in this movie so badly, and I want to, to, to have the, the same thing. I want women to want me as much as they want Sean Connery. And the producer said, you tricked like this, you tricked my secretary, you tricked this agent, you tricked this other producer, you are an actor because you tricked all these people to get where you are now. Uh, and they found out he's not an actor because after that, <laughs> after that movie, again, he was one and done. But just know that he was not a real actor. Wow. Well, then that means that, that I'm sure Paul Lazenby would be very quick to point out that George Lazenby does not have as many IMDb credits. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's certainly not as many uh, security guard IMDb credits <laughs> as uh, Paul Lazenby uh, has. The guy I'd never heard of until uh, I found out he was an asshole to my cousin 
so anywho. Hashtag never forget, Paul Lazenby. Hashtag um, never forget. An elephant's favorite hashtag. You know, and the thing is, it's it is it's likely that Paul Lazenby was at Dominion. The fact that Don Callis and Chris Jericho were there, uh, and he's such a, a a mark for those guys. Um, like I'm sure Paul Lazenby is probably at Dominion, but uh, oh well, I don't care. Um, I do care about this card, however. This was a pretty good card, and uh, you mentioned before the ding. Um, that this is a very different Dominion card. We mentioned it when we talked about Kenta coming back to Japan, and uh, you kind of mentioned it when you talked about the the, the lineup being very different. Um, one of the things, uh, hashtag dear listeners, Perry and I did talk about uh, before going on the air uh, to, tonight is that the way New Japan is structuring shows is very different than just a couple of years ago. Uh, how Dominion... Uh, two years ago, just two years ago, started with five tag matches. A six-man tag, an eight-man tag, a five-tag team gauntlet match, and two consecutive tag team championship matches before getting into any singles matches. And it's like, that's like 50 dudes. You got to remember, New Japan does not have women's wrestling it does not have women's wrestling on their on their major cards anyway, and so you know that's that's a lot of wrestling. That's not the case here at Dominion this year. Very singles heavy. Starts off with a singles match. John Moxley. That's right. Don't call him Dean Ambrose. He's no longer a member of the Shield. He's no longer uh, hyperventilating before Raw on Monday nights. Nope, he is John Moxley. He is working for AEW, and he's apparently working for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he is the IWGP United States Champion. Just a few days before Dominion, he defeated Juice Robinson, another former WWE employee known as CJ Parker during his NXT days. Well, Moxley defeated Juice Robinson for the IWGP US Championship, and brings it to Dominion. Coming out of the crowd, uh, that's one thing Moxley is borrowing from Ambrose, and that is entering DDP style through the crowd. John Moxley took on a young lion from the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo known as Shota Umino. And Moxley made very quick work of Shota Umino. It's pretty funny whenever you say young lion, uh, which basically just means like rookie for the most part in the world of New Japan. I'm sure some of our hashtag listeners who aren't familiar totally with New Japan might, might imagine him fighting literally an adolescent uh, lion. Uh, like, I do. Like Simba? Yes, like, yes, he had to wrestle Simba. That son of a bitch, Moxley. <laughs> You're right. They. Some of you're right. Thank you for the clarification. Some of our hashtag dear listeners might think he's wrestling an actual adolescent large jungle cat. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, I mean, just just terms like uh, you know Gaijin and uh, young lion. We have to kind of remember that you know if you if you're just tuning in, you might be like, what the hell are you talking about? So a little bit more clarification. That's, that, that, that's that's our bad, folks. That's our bad. 
Well, there you go. Well, why don't you tell them what Gaijin is? Uh, like, Gaijin, uh, isn't that basically just like a, a, a non-Japanese fighter, basically? Like, some people think it's white, like like a, like a white person, uh, but it's not specifically white. Kind of like Gringo is technically not just a white guy. It's just a basically a non-Mexican guy. So. Yeah, it's just like saying foreigner. Sure, basically. Gaijin oh, sort of foreigner! Me. Feels like the first time! Feels like the very first time! The, the very first time. <laughs> first time ever! Yes. <laughs> well, uh, not only do I not want our hashtag dear listeners to think that New Japan employs uh, the king of the jungle, uh, they should also know that I'm not using Young Lion as some, like, weird, uh, like, slang for young man. Like, that's my way of saying, like, sport or big fella or little guy. I'm not saying, oh, he's wrestling some young lion. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I'm not Bray Wyatt. I'm not Bray Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was at a dinner party and that young lion ranted. <laughs> Sandy Orton in, and I tell you, that young lion started playing the piano and drinking my hot toddies. And now, and now it's midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh yes, um, yes. Which uh, wait, wait, isn't that isn't that filmed in? Uh, isn't that supposed to be Georgia? Is that supposed to be Valdosta? No, not Valdosta. Is it Atlanta? Uh, Savannah. Savannah. Okay, 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 okay. Savannah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although a lot of those things very well could could have been set in Valdosta, but hey, that's South Georgia for you. It's. Uh, Sometimes it can be real spooky-ooky, and sometimes it can be very good old boy, and sometimes it can be uh, very genteel, if you will. Oh, Randy. Randy. Well, I did, I did think it was kind of odd watching uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. In the middle of it, there's that Cass Birch commercial. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to leave, Darren. Don't forget to leave and drive it like you stole it. Don't forget to leave. <laughs> and drive it like you stole it. And, but, and drive like yeah. but first and foremost, don't forget to leave. <laughs> and drive it like you stole it. Okay, so Moxley, I said he makes quick work of this young lion. And uh, he almost wins really early with a fish hook submission. But uh, it takes him a, it takes him a couple minutes. Before he uh, brings the Death Rider uh, to, to I guess, ride Umino to death. Uh, the Death Rider is his new finisher. It's like a double arm underhook DDT. And, um, but what's really crazy is not only is that the finisher, but it's funny how uh, New Japan will put a bunch of Japanese symbols around their name. And then occasionally they'll also just throw in some English words. So it's like, it says John Moxley and then a lot of Japanese symbols. And then there's like <laughs> a crude drawing of the Grim Reaper. And it just says Death Rider. Oh, no. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, on Juice Robinson. It says Juice Robinson and then a bunch of Japanese symbols. And then just the English word flamboyant. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. So anyway, That's accurate. It is. Um, although thanks to Moxley, Juice Robinson 
is far less flamboyant. He has lost the uh, dreadlocks. Uh, he has lost the Elton John glasses. And uh, all of a sudden, he's a hashtag mean mad man. Why would you lose that now that there's an Elton John biopic out? Why well, Why would I, you lose that now? It's, it's obviously, it's like the two people entering uh, Double or Nothing as Freddie Mercury. Uh, hey, that movie came out two months ago. Now, look at us. Hey, we, we like bi- We like to ride our bicycles. We like fat bottom women. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. So Moxley, in addition to being called the Death Rider, now also referring to himself as the International Purveyor of Violence. That, that, that's like that's like there being a Back to the Future 4 announced and Kushida drops the Back to the Future gimmick now. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> You held on to it for so long, Sheena. Anyway, sorry, I had to revisit that shit. You did, you did. But that's a good point. It's a very good point. I don't like Moxley calling himself the international purveyor of violence. Um, just because that's a that's a mouthful uh, and not a particularly clever one. It also sounds like a cheap version of Sammy Callahan's nickname, the Worldwide Desperado. Which sounds cooler. It's way cooler. Speaking of failed NXT properties. Yeah, but here's the thing. Also, don't forget, John Moxley and Sammy Callahan used to be tag team partners in CCW. Oh, no. So, is the international purveyor of violence going to hook back up with the Worldwide Desperado? To go around the world in 80 days and beat everybody up? I mean, I'd pay to see that. If they travel on a hot air balloon, then yes. They travel by hot air balloon and land and then fight and then get back in the hot air balloon. <laughs> they, they, they they do the shield uh, zip line or whatever it is down. They, they rappel down from the hot air balloon into action. Yeah, so they make a slow getaway every time. <laughs> <laughs> there they go, folks. Oh. So John Moxley, uh, he wins this match, and then he demands entry into the G1 Climax tournament. Uh, and then Moxley carried Umino out of the ring and out of the arena. Um, he's definitely living up to his you know, lunatic fringe aspect of whatever really lies in the heart of John Good. Is he's just he's a bit of a weirdo. It's the garden of John Good and Evil. <laughs> you said it, you young lion. Next up, Shinjo Takagi, the dragon, the newest member of Los Ingobernables de Japón, took on Satoshi Kojima. And Kojima is okay, first of all, this match is weird because Takagi, even though he's on the larger side. It's so clear of a distinction in Japan between the junior heavyweights and the heavyweights. They actually keep them apart from each other. So when they're in the ring together, it's noticeable. It's not like putting Finn Balor and Brock Lesnar in the ring together and being told this is a fair fight. In Japan, that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that matchup would never happen, but if it did, all they would talk about would be the size difference. Right. And in WWE, and really in the United States entirely, they don't do that. I mean, 
they just don't do that. That's why you could have Hulk Hogan versus Bret Hart, or you could have the giant versus Ric Flair, right. you know, like, well, I mean, it's, it's, a uh, new Japan. I've always had a lot of good things to say about them as far as like, uh, maintaining the legitimacy of a real, uh, combat sport, you know, with rules. Cause there are, there are weight classes and, their, their time limits and, and all that stuff. Like, I've always appreciated that. And I, I think from time to time that WWE could actually benefit greatly from that if there was, like, uh, here are the middleweights and, you know, here are the, the, the junior heavyweights, you know, the, the super heavyweights, whatever. Because they would also... I, I don't know. Like, it, it would it would kind of solve a lot of problems because you know typically the super heavyweight's just going to go over on the, the little guy. You know what I mean? So if there are weight classes, which, which again, is a legitimate thing, and if they wanted to make it just a little bit more like UFC, which also has weight classes, rightly so, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's something to think about, WWE. I mean, you're not going to change things the way they, you know, now, I guess. The way they are is the way they are, and they've been that way forever, but... Um, so yeah, so yeah, like you said though, it is noticeable when a big guy and a little guy uh, hook up in the ring. It's kind of like, huh? Uh, because I mean, when two big, especially when when most wrestlers are pretty big, and you forget that because they're all pretty big. When they stand next to each other, they look like regular guys standing next to each other until you put them next to people who are average height, and you realize, oh yeah, I forgot they're fucking monsters. Well, and that's the glaring difference here between Takagi and Kojima, is that Takagi looks like a big guy until you realize he's legitimately in a different weight class than Kojima. And Kojima also, as a veteran, as a long-time Japanese wrestling superstar, he comes from an era where even the average-sized guys were gigantic. And so Kojima is this holdover from days gone by and so as a heavyweight, he is just legitimately bigger than Takagi. And Kojima, also a legend, a former IWGP heavyweight champion, former Triple Crown champion in all Japan pro wrestling, former NWA world champion. I mean, Kojima not only has the size advantage, he has the legacy. I mean, I can't really, I don't, I don't know exactly what to compare this to, but it would be like, I don't know, maybe like Ric Flair in his last, like Ric Flair during the evolution days fighting Shelton Benjamin would be like some sort of comparison to this Takagi Kojima match is like somebody who's done everything is fighting like a, like a young guy. You mean like uh, when Flair fought MVP at WrestleMania the year before he retired? That absolutely, I don't even remember that being the case exactly that, because Flair fought <laughs> MVP at WrestleMania the year before he retired. Yes, so uh, Kojima, though, I will say, I mean, he wrestles regularly still despite his age, despite uh, you know, a long and storied career. He's in excellent shape. Um, <laughs> I will say the funniest part of this match, uh, not that any of it's supposed to be funny, but uh. Kojima, uh, using his name and his move, basically goes for a diamond cutter type move. Um, and they call it the Koji cutter. Well, it sounds a whole lot like they're saying coochie cutter. <laughs> and, and I imagined if Jim Ross were commentating, it would definitely sound like he was saying coochie cutter. 
And if I were watching this match and heard Jim Ross going, oh, my God, it's a coochie cutter, I would probably wet my pants. Because <laughs> you're wearing coochie cutters? Be well, if I were wearing coochie cutters, I probably wouldn't really wet my pants. I'd wet whatever I was sitting on. Because <laughs> coochie cutters don't really leave a lot to the imagination. Is that still, a, is that still terminology these days? Do kids still say uh, coochie cutters? Uh, there's no way, right? There's, there's no way. Okay. I, I'm sure they they probably say something that is simultaneously more and less offensive than coochie cutter. Right. I haven't, I haven't heard that term since like middle school. So hopefully, hopefully that uh, that uh, phrase went as you would say the the way of the dodo, which I, I hope so. that phrase never goes the way of the dodo. It won't. Not as long as I'm still alive. <laughs> so so if that was the funny part of the match the 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 not funny part of the match is that this is a strong style bout for sure lots of punch exchanges forearm exchanges um takagi actually wins though as the junior heavyweight and as the younger guy um he's no young lion but he's still not the uh not the veteran that uh, kojima is but he does win with a combination of three high-impact moves, the last of which was, I guess, his version of a burning hammer called the Last of the Dragon. Um, and then, as it was the trend on this day, Takagi demands that he be entered into the G1 Climax Tournament. What is this? The WWE main event scene where you just make a demand and you're automatically in, in it to win it? Well, they, they demand entry. I don't know that that necessarily grants them. Uh, we'll have to see if all these people who demanded entry actually make it in. Uh, if if I were writing for New Japan, I'd have at least one or two not to make it a little interesting. I don't know. Maybe Red Shoes, the referee, demanded. They were like, no, you'll ref the match, Red Shoes. Man, they gave Red Shoes hell on this night. Uh, between a just between Naito and Jericho alone, I felt really bad for Red Shoes. <laughs> Next up, Jushin Thunder Liger and Yoshihashi took on the team representing Suzuki-Goon, Zack Sabre Jr., and the leader of Suzuki-Goon, Minoru Suzuki himself. And that is a menacing dude. Minoru Suzuki is terrifying. However, Jushin Thunder Liger makes me smile. So it's a wash. Emotionally, I was at an equilibrium for this match uh, because Liger had me so excited and Suzuki had me so petrified. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what was a bummer was learning that Liger has announced he will be retiring and that Jushin Thunder Liger's final match will be at Wrestle Kingdom 14 uh, in January of 2020. Wow. Is he going to pass the mantle down or I guess not? I don't think so. No? I don't think so. No, I am, I'm just like, wow. Not that I would miss Wrestle Kingdom, but now, that, like, without a doubt, the highlight of Wrestle Kingdom is going to be Jushin Liger's last match. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm very, very excited about it. And sad, and sad, because, I mean, of all the... You know, fight forever. Like Jushin Liger needs to fight forever. Sure. Um, TMZ, take note. You don't retire from wrestling until you have a retirement match. Uh, and yeah, 
Sometimes stipulation yeah. like, ah, oh, loser leaves town, you know, or I think Flair lost like 30 loser leaves town matches, but he just left town and came right back in. Uh, I was about to say, <laughs> loser leaves town and then come back to town. And then come back to town. And then go to the next town or the next show. Uh, when Jushin Liger and Minoru Suzuki are in the ring together, these two wily vets, uh, the fighting is very, very tough and intense. Again, strong style without a doubt. And entertaining, though. It's not just cringeworthy because they're punching each other in the jaw, but uh, also entertaining. Um, Yoshihashi ends up winning the match for him and Liger uh, when he pins Zack Sabre Jr. with this really elaborate rolling roll-up. I don't really know any other way to, to describe that. Zack Sabre Jr. was kind of an afterthought in this match. At the very, very beginning, he had Yoshihashi kind of, I guess, defeated, so to speak, sort of feeling sorry for himself. Liger actually got in the ring at one point and kind of like pushed Yoshihashi and was like, come on, dude, get up, fight, tag me if you can't. But uh, while Yoshihashi was down, I guess Zack Sabre Jr. had his one moment in the sun, kind of doing old Chris Jericho stuff like just lightly kicking him, uh, you know, and just kind of toying with him, like humiliating him. Um, sort of like we saw Orange Cassidy doing with his, I need to know, I need to know more about this Orange Cassidy gimmick where he just keeps his hands in his pockets and lightly kicks people as though he doesn't care what's going on. I don't get it. I don't know where that comes from. I haven't seen the origin of that. So I need to, I need Hashtag dear listeners, let us know about Orange Cassidy because I don't know. Uh, and I feel like we're going to need to because enough people care that <laughs> we need to be able to know what's up with that. <laughs> well, after Suzuki Goon is defeated here, uh, security has to remove a rather irate Minoru Suzuki, who again, the wild eyes that he's flashing back at the ring to Liger and to Yoshihashi makes me just really want to uh, curl up underneath a blank and hope that Minoru Suzuki never comes looking to kill me because he will. He will kill me. <laughs> In a match that seems very fitting for a New Japan Pro Wrestling match, we have a six-man tag uh, with the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, tagging with Juice Robinson and Ryusuke Taguchi. And this is, of course, uh, the part of the faction that is uh, led by Toguchi and all of his weird rugby gimmick that I do not understand. Uh, and uh, Toguchi to, and his crew take on the Bullet Club. Now, the Bullet Club is represented on this night by the leader, the new leader, Switchblade, Jay White, Chase Owens, and Taiji Ishimori who uh, also known as, or originally known as, Bone Soldier. Um, I don't believe he was always the Bone Soldier, but when they finally unmasked Bone Soldier, it turned out to be Kaiji Ishimori, who made his name for himself outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, but very familiar to the Japanese wrestling fans. Um, this is a very crestfallen bullet club. I mentioned it earlier but it really feels this way on this night without a like 
worldwide Twitter trend of hashtag Bullet Club. Um, and without a championship around his waist, Jay White looked sort of like he was going through the motions. Um, Taiji Ishimori, other than looking like the most fit man on planet Earth, um, you know, isn't really some amazing part of the Bullet Club. Like, you know, he's not selling shirts at Hot Topic, you know. And Chase Owens, I've never understood the appeal of Chase Owens. Doesn't do a lot for me. Um, they call him the crown jewel of the Bullet Club, and I'm like, really? <laughs> he's the crown jewel? Like, I would put any person who was ever in the Bullet Club above Chase Owens as the crown jewel. Are we sure that wasn't a nickname given to him just as a, a jab at WWE's first Saudi Arabia show? <laughs> I would hope so, because I hope that it was not someone uh, judging him by his relevance uh, or his uh, or his contribution to the Bullet Club, because I'm, I'm sad to say it's just not there. That's fair enough. But yeah, with the... Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's sad to say, with the elite removed from the Bullet Club, the and all all you know respect due to uh, Switchblade, who I think is a really great competitor and really cool character. Um, Bullet Club just kind of seems like just another faction at this point, and not the you Bullet Club. Said, yeah, you said it, man. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, Tanahashi ends up winning this match for his team. He pins Chase Owens. Uh, for the victory with a very awkward twist of fate type move. It did not look right. It was not great. Um, but anyway. So there's another reason. The, the Bullet Club actually loses this match uh, in, with a, a match that involves its leader. It's just kind of like, you. Next up, the Never Open Weight Championship was on the line. Uh, it's Never the Open! Champion. <laughs> The champion, Tai Chi, took on Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull. Uh, now, commentary made a lot out of the fact that Tai Chi is a shit talker. Well, that's hard for us Gaijin to extrapolate based on what we're shown. Because if you don't speak Japanese uh, and you watch NJPW World only, you don't get a lot of Japanese language vignettes or promos. So you have no idea if Tai Chi is a shit talker or not. Um, <laughs> to me, he just looks like part pirate, part vampire, part Phantom of the Opera with just a touch of Elvis Presley. Uh, <laughs> I don't really understand... That, guess, that, you know, always... that 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 is a four square picture onto itself, Darren. <laughs> that, that that is like someone did that challenge where it's like three movie characters or three yeah, like like you know, pop culture characters that define who you are, and he did those four. He he yes. broke the rules because there's supposed to be three, but he did four, so whatever. Well, you just a touch of Elvis, remember, just a touch of Elvis. Sure, sure. Was uh... that was that the sequel to Touch of Evil? <laughs> It is. Huh. They didn't have to. They didn't have to change a lot about. They just added uh, what one letter and then rearranged some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Touch of Elvis. Uh, sure. It's a sequel to Touch of Evil. Is that uh, is that is that what a Jericho's new finisher is? God, probably. Touch of Elvis? Does he, does he fall down and you trip over him and he pins you? Yeah, or he sneezes and you... He sneezes? And you tap out? <laughs> is it the... You voluntarily leave the ring and get countered out and Jericho wins? And he's like, yeah, that's the Touch of Elvis. Touch uh, of Elvis, buy the new fucking Fozzie album. Dollar Shave Club. Uh, Dollar Shave. Uh, I, I want to I buy a Fozzie album and, and hopes that in the middle of one of his songs there is a Dollar Shave Club ad. <laughs> hey, yeah, I know I know Judas is real great and all, but you know what's what isn't great is 5 O'Clock Shadow. 5 O'Clock Shadow. So I got Dollar Shave Club, baby. That's right, Dollar Shave Club. The name of the next Fozzie album, 5 O'Clock Shadow. <laughs> I, I, th- I think. Oh, uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> or it could be. It could be the new Jimmy Buffett record. Five o'clock shadows somewhere. <laughs> In paradise. Yeah, I, I think uh, Dollar Shave Club is to podcasts as Tummy Tea is to uh, to Instagram fitness models, uh, where they, they just have some sort of blackmail over them. So they have to. They have to shill for their products. I, I don't know what it is. I, I do remember like one day. Charlotte and Mandy Rose and Becky Lynch and like maybe Sasha Banks all did like a tummy tea like picture uh, slash ad on their Instagram account like all within the same hour and it was just like is this Stepford Wives what's going on <laughs> yeah. tummy tea wives tummy tea wives tummy tea is people it's people Darren. Oh, what if Tummy T were people? Uh, at this point, I, I imagine it would be. Doesn't Tummy T just make you poop really badly? Probably. It's I don't a, know what. I don't know what Tummy it's, T. It's does. probably a diuretic. I imagine it makes you makes you poop. Uh, or at least pee. Sure. Like, uh, yeah, it's just something you're supposed to. Yeah, it's gross. I don't sure. need. Sure I don't need Tummy T, Darren. We don't need Tummy T. We don't need Dollar Shave Club because we got something better. That's right, Darren. A nice reminder that it's time, once again, for some Schweppes. Schweppes. A sparkling tradition since 1783. I know that when it's uh, 5 o'clock shadows somewhere, or when I have to poop, all I do is reach (laughs) for a nice, refreshing glass of Schweppes. Schweppes with raspberry. Ah, flawless segue once again, Darren. So Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull, defeats Tai Chi for the Never Openweight Championship. Uh, and even though this was a clash of styles, like as far as not a styles clash, it's a clash of styles, uh, Ishii and Tai Chi could not be more different as far as Japanese wrestlers go. It's, it's like the uh, old different X Men could couldn't be more different than the the last. Uh, I forget it. So there's like an old version of Tomohiro Ishii looking down, <laughs> like like, but but, it, but it's just him like, looking down at just him. But it's all yeah. new, all different. And he's he, but he's still like feigning surprise for no one, him, for no one, for no one. Oh, <laughs> What's this? 
Oh, God. Okay, but despite the clash of styles, it was a good match. Okay, it's a solid match. Totally solid match, and I'm an Ishii fan for sure. Tai Chi, uh, he, he's still got a long way to go to grow on me. Um, he's an excellent cosplayer, uh, and he's a pretty good wrestler. But Ishii is 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 one BA Japanese puro wrestler uh, individual. I, I you know fighting spirit a hundred percent. So next up, the Gorillas of Destiny, the Sons of Haku, Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa. That's right, the OG BC, the Bullet Club founders with the good bad guy, Tamatanga, leading them, the IWGP Tag Team Champions, G.O.D., God, if you will, take on Evil and Sonata, representing Los Gobernables de Japón, that uh, New Japan faction led by Tetsuya Naito. And Evil and Sonata and Tamatanga and Tongaloa, no strangers to each other. You can throw a lot of other tag teams in there, like uh, War Machine, The Young Bucks, uh, Davy Boy Smith and Lance Archer, and yet it always comes back to the Gorillas and Evil and Sonata. Like the hashtag fight forever, Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, Evil and Sonata are very familiar dance partners. Um, I will say Sonata is starting to match Evil more and more and more. Coming out with more spooky gear. You know, used to Sonata just kind of looked like the fifth member of the Misfits. Right. Um, but now it looks like he actually goes with, like, he, like the tag team makes sense. Him and, uh, and Evil, they look like a couple of spooky dudes. Um, and they're even calling, like, again, with the Japanese symbols and then it says Sonata. In, in uh, Romanized letters. It also says Cold Skull over Sonata's name. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I guess that, that weird English uh, type speak where evil's name is just evil. I guess Sonata could be Cold Skull. Um, but this match is not your typical New Japan Pro Wrestling tag team match. This is a real show-off match. Meaning, and when I say that, I mean like it felt like a WWE match. They wrestled more in a WWE match and did more, but the pacing was very WWE-like. Um, it was it was very strange change of pace, but what it looked like was a lot of pandering to the crowd by both teams. Because I think that both teams were trying to figure out like who the bad guy was, which was kind of interesting. Because they're both, I guess they're really both kind of heel tag teams. And it's like, who can the heels get cheered more? Um, but in the end, Tomatonga Tongaloa retain the belts. They defeat Evil and Sonata. Um, which I like the Gorillas of Destiny on top of the tag team division. To me... Uh, they are keeping it real for the Bullet Club. To, uh, also, to me, I think you need to keep the Gorillas very, very, very close to Jay White. Um, I think that there is the strength 
therein lies the power, the future of the Bullet Club is with that trio. They're all pretty young. Even though without the face paint, I will say Tom and Tonga's beard is awfully gray. So maybe maybe put the face paint back on there, Tom and Tonga. <laughs> uh, but they, they're youthful. They're cool. They're hip. You need to keep Jay White very, very close to the Gorillas of Destiny. Next up, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Dragon Lee representing CMLL as well as a lot of organizations, will take on Will Ospreay. As this match began, there was surprisingly little aerial assault uh, until the first Tipo Suicida that we saw out of Dragon Lee. Uh, he goes head-to-head head to head. with Will Ospreay after going through the ropes. Ospreay, all the while, was propped on the railing. So both Osprey and Lee go through, like over and through press tables in the press area and all the way into the crowd railing. Um, that was super intense. I thought somebody was probably hurt. Uh, I don't think they were because they got up and continued to fight and fight and fight. At one point, Osprey is in a tree of woe hanging on the outside of the ring. And Dragon Lee climbs to the top rope and does a top rope double stomp onto Osprey, then fall, then going all the way that it, Lee is, going all the way to the floor, but he slips on what Kelly and Callis refer to as a wet spot. Uh, and there's some question there for a minute that looks like Dragon Lee may have tweaked his knee. Um, and nevertheless, he's the one who actually gets back in the ring before Osprey? Osprey slides in right as the referee is counting 20. So Osprey almost lost his opportunity to win the championship there. I will say, these two are excellently matched opponents. What I took away from this match is that they were not dance partners. This felt like a fight. This felt like an endurance race. It did not feel like a ballet. Um, Osprey himself, Will Osprey, one half of this match. A lot of his matches in the past have been called exactly that. They've been called, you know, a dance or a ballet. This does not at all fit into that category. And I'm curious if it has anything to do with the fact that um, the announcers made more than one mention of the fact that Osprey has begun lifting weights that for the first time in his entire wrestling career, he has embarked on a weightlifting regimen to actually try and put on some weight. Not only did they say that, but kind of evident looking at him. Zack Sabre Jr., skinny as ever. Will Ospreay, starting to fill out. Yeah, it was always my criticism of Will Ospreay was that he needed to put on some muscle. Um, very athletic guy, doesn't need it for performance-wise, but... I do think, like, to get, to enhance his abilities just a little bit more. And also, I mean, wrestlers, you have to be in some kind of shape to be a wrestler. You just do. You can't just be a skinny guy, or girl for that matter. You have to put some muscle on that frame. Otherwise, everyone's going to complain about it. This is something you do to kind of shut critics up. Like myself, I'll be one of those people that's always been like, God, I wish you would just put on some, some muscle. Uh, he, he, he can say the same about me. 
but uh, <laughs> but I'm not uh, not in combat sports that I'm aware of. I talk about them. I talk about them while I eat pizza. Um, so yeah, so good for him uh, putting on some some muscle. I mean that can only help his abilities too. And I think he'll find that he has a uh, whole new moves to add to his arsenal once he's able to put on some more power. So yeah, uh, now I'm thinking about pizza. But um, when are you not I, thinking about pizza? To be fair, dear, that is fair. That's actually totally fair. Sure, I'm never not thinking about pizza. Osprey, speaking of lifting and carrying, uh, he does actually win this match. He defeats Dragon Lee with an Oscutter combo followed by a Stormbreaker, and he takes the belt off of Dragon Lee. This now makes Will Ospreay a three-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And in a uh, very nice show of respect, Dragon Lee puts the belt on Will Ospreay. Hey, there, friend. Aww. In the penultimate match of the evening, the IWGP Intercontinental Champion, the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi, takes on the leader of Los Ingobernables, De Japón, Tetsuya Naito, Tranquilo. <laughs> uh, okay. Hashtag dear listeners, if you've read anything on the internet, uh, you will know that everybody is a flutter uh, about did this match go too far? Is strong style too dangerous? Are these guys being too reckless? I'm going to say no. Oh. Darren wants blood, ladies and gentlemen. He wants blood. Let's ask Shibata if strong style goes too far. Well, you know, we're going to talk about it later when we talk about The Undertaker and Goldberg dropping each other on their heads. Uh, UFC is all upset because of the pile driver that uh, their very own Andrade did to Rose Namajunas. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, we're—I think all of combat sports worldwide, uh, predetermined or not, uh, they all agree we probably should stop dropping ourselves on our heads. It's not good. Or our necks. Um, so, with that being said, I, I I don't disagree with that. Um, I just boy, do people rush to judgment. Um, this Naito Ibushi match is extraordinary. It's not any more dangerous than any other New Japan match on this night, uh, and certainly not in the history of the company. I think what everybody really freaked out about is Naito does uh, a German suplex to Ibushi and I can't quite figure out if the plan was for it to land on the apron or if the plan was to go all the way to the ground <laughs> I don't know if they knew the plan either so they split the difference and Naito who's delivering the German suplex, lands on his shoulders about 90% on his own back 
on the apron. Right. Just to kind of paint the picture, if you, if you haven't seen the, the footage, it is it is on the outside apron. So it's on the other side of the rope. So the, the hardest yeah, part of the, the ring. Outside, yeah. The hardest part of the ring, Darren. That's right. That's right. No, you can't do that again. Uh, <laughs> the, the distance, the, the, uh, the, the width of the apron on the outside of the ropes is far wider in New Japan than it is in WWE. So there's a lot of real estate there. Nevertheless, uh, part of uh, Naito, who is delivering the move, is off of the apron. Abushi himself, all that the only part of his body, uh, while he is being German suplexed, the only part of his body to hit the apron is the side of his head, while the rest of his body is being projected to the floor below, to the valley below, if you will, if you're a Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> and I'll just it's just one more cup of coffee before I go. Um, but Ibushi, bad, it's, it's a really gnarly, gnarly looking bump as his head turns completely sideways. Um, and I'm going to say that the only reason he's not paralyzed is because he has an incredibly strong neck. <laughs> a phrase you'll hear later on when we talk about Super Showdown as well. So, uh, Ibushi hits the ground. The commentators immediately cringe. Uh, Ibushi has a look on his face like he is not going to get back up. There seems to be a moment where uh, Red Shoes, it looks like he resigns himself to getting in and counting him out, like for a shoot so that people can come out and take a look at him. Nevertheless, Ibushi gets up, gets back in the ring, immediately starts fighting. Naito takes him to the corner puts him on the top rope and does a top rope reverse Frankensteiner, which throws Ibushi right back on the top of his head. So is that going too far? Does Naito continuing to focus on the neck of Ibushi, whether it's for a shoot or for a work, is that going too far? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to take a Frankensteiner. Especially I'm not going to take a reverse Frankensteiner. Certainly not taking a reverse Frankensteiner from the top rope. Uh, that just sounds like not a good time. Not a good time. Not a good time. Not when your neck is already... Uh, your The health of your neck is already in question. This is a very good match. I, for... For Ibushi to have almost been paralyzed in the opening minutes of the match, it goes on and on and on. And they beat the dog shit out of each other. They absolutely pound one another with fists and maneuvers and submissions. There, I think it was actually even before the German suplex in question, Naito had uh, like a leg... Like, his legs uh, entangled around Abushi's arms, forcing Abushi's head down onto his chest, and like it made me feel like I couldn't breathe. <laughs> like it had been a long time since I saw something like that, where I felt like actual sympathy, because I know that pro wrestling is entertainment. 
I don't get like sympathy pains. I don't have like emotional like react like ten like emotionally tinged physical reactions to maneuvers because sure, they're sure. not real. Right, right. But that hold, that one submission hold was like me watching Bloodsport for the first time when I was eight. Um, and I was like, oh no, he's hurt. Like, uh, like that. So like, and it got a lot of heat. They booed Naito out of the building, man. But uh, despite all the booing and despite Ibushi and his fighting spirit, Naito takes the icy belt off of the Golden Star. And Tranquilo is uh, the IC champion of the IWGP of New Japan Pro Wrestling once again. So a tip of the cap and an opening of the eye to Tetsuya Naito. A belt that he's tried to destroy in the past. He just he just has to own it at the same time. We'll see if he finishes destroying it this time. That leaves only the main event, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, and that title holder is the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. And he takes on Y2J, the Judas himself, Chris Jericho. And um, suffice it to say, I was not impressed with Chris Jericho at Double or Nothing. Hashtag dear listeners, if you listen to our coverage of Double or Nothing, you'll know that I thought Chris Jericho winning the main event of the first ever All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view was a huge mistake, period. And it was an extra double-plus mistake because of how bad of a match he had. I, I might as well have forgotten all of that. This match here with Okada exceptionally good. Oh, I, oh. Once you get past the whole, you know, older guy taking the spotlight uh, in the main event from not one but two promotions, uh, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> no, and that is a fair statement, and I still don't support that. Sure. That, that remains true. Jericho doesn't need to be taking the spot from someone else. However, on this night in Osaka... He did what he was not able to do in Las Vegas, and that was have a damn good wrestling match. I don't know if it's – maybe it's just Okada. Maybe Okada just can't have a bad match because Kazuchika Okada gets Chris Jericho to do stuff Jericho has not done since 2000 and 2001. I mean, Jericho has lost a step. He He has – Age will do that to you. Age will do it to all of us. Age will eventually do it to Kazuchika Okada. So I can't fault Jericho for being a little less fleet of foot. However, his endurance, he's not just whistling Dixie when he says that DDP yoga has rejuvenated him as an athlete because endurance-wise, Jericho was was in lockstep with Okada. And then, he, I, you know, I want to criticize his high flying, but at one point, Jericho runs, jumps off of the middle rope, does, spins in midair to drop kick 
Okada who's standing on the apron of the opposite ropes. And like, at, you know, which leaves Jericho at one point in midair, parallel to the ground, level with the top rope. I mean, he's a 50-year-old dude. That's incredible athleticism. So uh, hats off to Jericho. You know, there was a lot of gaga. He did his typical uh, taking the camera away from the cameraman and flicking everybody off and taking the opportunity of being on Japanese language television so he can say as many English swears as he likes uh, and doesn't have to worry about getting censored. Um, although, dirty little secret there, uh, Chris, uh, most Japanese people can speak English, so they know what you're saying. Uh, even if it's not being censored, they hear you. Um, but this was a good match. Uh, Jericho is not able to take the belt off of Okada, and thank goodness for that, because good match or no, Chris Jericho has no business being the IWGP heavyweight champion. Maybe wrestling for it, but not holding. Sure, sure. I, I don't think that's going to happen, no. Uh, I think it's going to stay, because again, we talked about it recently, where the, the IWGP heavyweight championship kind of hot potatoed for a bit there, and that's something that belt does not do. I think it's going to stay on uh, Okada for a while. And it, it probably needs to, because you said long ago, Okada kind of needs that belt to cement Okada. Because without it, Okada is just kind of <laughs> lost. He is. Yeah. It's, a weird, it's a weird, weird thing. I don't think I've ever felt that way so strongly about a wrestler and a title. But I feel like that title needs Okada, and even more so, Okada needs that title. Uh -huh. uh, nobody, nobody holds it better than Okada, but yeah, Okada is kind of rudderless without it. Um, he needs that. He needs that to be—I don't want to say relevant, but he needs it to to be in his rightful place. Sure. And I think that I think he might be one of the best Japanese wrestlers of all time, maybe the best of all time uh, when it when it's all said and done. And uh, so his rightful place is obviously at the top. Well, he's a contender, right. certainly. So that's Dominion. It is over. And now it is just a race to the G1 Climax and then to January's Wrestle Kingdom. So New Japan Pro Wrestling in full swing. All of their championships uh, are embroiled in excellent matches, excellent programs. And uh, I see nothing but, uh, but, but sunny days in the land of the rising sun and their number one pro wrestling company. Sure, sure. New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, puts on great show after great show. They do it quite well, no matter who they've lost. Uh, they have lost some personnel, for sure. But, uh, again, uh, lots of great people to see there in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's just you have to stay up pretty late to watch uh, their shows is all. Uh, and uh, maybe a little bit of Japanese. That won't hurt as well. Uh, so, speaking of doing... Big old pay-per-view shows far, far away from the USA. WWE took a little field trip back to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and they had themselves a super showdown. Darren and I did not do a head-to-head. Head-to-head. But we did watch the damn thing, and we have plenty to say. 
coming from the other side of darkness, this is Holiday, and you're listening to the only podcast that calls it right down the middle of the whole reppin' show. <laughs> Two days before New Japan brought you Dominion from Osaka Joe Hall, the WWE brought us Super Showdown. That was on Friday, the 7th of June, 2019. This was at 2 p.m., so you know, this is, this is when you normally watch wrestling, 2 p.m., 3 a.m. <laughs> i tell you what, because this is happening during my summer vacation, I really do feel like a little kid at summer camp, and things can just happen at any time. Let's eat breakfast at 10 at night. Let's watch wrestling at 3 in the morning. Well, Jeddah Saudi Arabia was the controversial host of WWE's return to the Middle East. And all of the action took place at King Abdullah International Stadium. And uh, the very first thing I want to say is attendance was down. Um, I'm sure that didn't have any zeros get scraped off of uh, Vince and Friends' check. Nevertheless, attendance was down. And the royal family had moved themselves out of sight of the hard camera. So... I'm curious, who made those calls? Did the Saudi royal family make those calls? Did uh, WWE make those calls? And if WWE did, was it Vince? Was it Hunter? Was it uh, the you know directors? And you know, there was a lot, a lot of things that looked and felt a little different about the show. It felt far less Saudi uh, than Crown Jewel and Greatest Royal Rumble. So that was one thing that I noticed. But there were 10 matches, um, 10 matches that sort of fit current storylines and also don't. Um, it well, was, sure, uh, if you put together a story within two weeks of the show, yeah. <laughs> there you go. The pre-show of Super Showdown featured only one match, and that was the Usos taking on the Revival. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is prime uh, pre-show fodder, Darren. The revival and the Usos. Uh, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, but well, it is. Well, you're gonna hate it too because they double dip, Darren. They both show up later in the uh, 50 man <sighs> battle royal. So basically, they wanted you to just complain about double dipping, is all. Yeah, and I will. I, I'm gonna do it now, and I'll do it again when we talk about the battle royal. But the Usos and the revival. These guys are both excellent tag teams that we just don't get to see have excellent tag team wrestling matches. Put the Usos or the Revival over on Dominion against some of those tag teams, barn burners. Oh, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to see the Gorillas of Destiny and the Usos because then they would doink. They would do the doink. And they <laughs> right. They'd be like, all right, you're Samoan, we're Tongan, but we all have... Long black hair and beards, and we're all black clothes. Sure. Okay, we're doing the same thing. But yeah, the Usos defeat the Revival on the pre-show, and that's about all I got to say about it. That's I mean, all there is to be said. said. Yeah. So the show starts. Uh, I don't know this. I don't understand this new trend of if it's a mega show, they're going to put the Universal Title match on first. Yeah. What is that about? So the Universal Champion, the holder of the fruit roll-up belt, the keeper of the fruit by the foot, that is Seth Rollins, 
and he is the Beast Slayer, the Dragon Slayer, and the Fruit Leather Slayer, and he is taking on Baron Corbin, who may or may not at any time be the Raw GM or the assistant to the GM or the matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Um, I don't know. But he's but whatever he is, he's fighting Seth Rollins for the what WWE purports to be their most prestigious title. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. Clearly, whatever writer is writing Baron Corbin stuff is also writing Shane McMahon stuff because they both have to have the announcer uh, announce them in a certain way, uh, which really takes the heat away from both of them doing that. But anyway, um, I don't like Baron Corbin. I never have. Uh, <laughs> this match, I don't. I could care less about. Uh, it, it's not a bad match. Uh, some. Some some parts didn't quite jive. Uh, there was a few missteps here and there. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this right now: to be fair to everyone who competed at uh, at Super Showdown, it was 101 degree weather. Um, so there is that fatigue, uh, people being uh, very sweaty. Uh, so so already, I'm going to give everyone that little bit of buffer when it comes to criticizing anything that's done here. Um, so. Just competing in that had to have been a nightmare. I felt so sorry for Shinsuke Nakamura, who had to wrestle in that. And I thought, man, what if like, what if like early days Kane were competing with the mask and like the full body suit except for the exposed arm? It's like, oh man, he would die on his way to the ring. Anyway, uh, so and, you know, and you know what would have been extra gnarly is like that mat on like Kane's mask on the way back. Oh yeah. Everything I've ever heard, apparently, like, his mask was, like, the nastiest thing in the history of wrestling. Oh. Like, it was so full of, like, sweat and gunk and dead skin cells. And bacteria. That was, that's, like, you could just, like, scrape it off with a putty knife. Yeah. That makes me like Kane less. Um, so yeah, the, the, the match is the match is whatever. It's not great. It's not terrible. Uh, but Seth Rollins does retain the Universal Belt as we figured he would. Like no no big plot things are going to happen here. Like no big title changes are going to happen on this show. That's just the way it is. Although leading up to this show, they 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 made a real lot of hullabaloo to kind of throw people off. I guess it's going to turn out that it was just a bunch of red herrings. But I completely agree with you. This is not the setting for a bunch of stuff to go down. And yet, the rumor mill was the buzz that this is precisely where WWE was going to shock people by making some changes in order to bring back some of that interest that I think was waning as more and more people began to catch on to, yeah, let's protest this. Let's boycott this because... It's not really on the up and up. Right. With uh, Well, Brock Lesnar shows up with his money in the bank briefcase, uh, which uh, they climb into the ring. Seth Rollins is pretty much exhausted at the end of the match. I think maybe Baron Corbin beats up on him a little bit more after the, after the match is over. Paul Hammond getting into the ring trips over the rope and drops the briefcase, which for a second, because he did it so well, I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, no, it was supposed to happen. Okay, he's supposed to... He's supposed to get Brock's attention so Seth can get up and use the briefcase as a weapon and beat up on Brock Lesnar. So Brock Lesnar flew a long way just for uh, just to get beaten up by Seth Rollins. 
Uh, but I'm, I'm sure the Saudis were like, you'll bring Brock Lesnar. He, he will be at the show. So, Yeah, I mean, for a second there, I really thought he was going to cash in, but he never does. Instead, he just gets walloped. Uh, and, you know, on Monday Night Raw, they pull the cameras back. Super Showdown, they took the cameras in there. I was really surprised. Right. It's it's weird, though, because, uh, like you said, like apparently changes are coming, which I highly doubt. Because it's funny, because Seth Rollins being Universal Champion is, is even though we're not huge fans of Seth Rollins, it's a step in the right direction uh, as far as, like, you know, maybe someone can bring a bit more credibility to that belt. But just the mere fact that Brock Lesnar has the Money in the Bank contract in the briefcase is like that looming specter of the old Raw. You know what I mean? The, it's just oh, yeah. like... Steps taken forward, but sleepwalking back again. Sleepwalking back again. Um, so th there, <laughs> there is that. So after that, we actually have the Intercontinental Championship match, uh, which has higher billing than the Universal Title match at this wild, crazy show in uh, Jeddah. We have the champion Finn Balor, the Demon King, I should say, because on this night he is the Demon King. Though the paint doesn't last very long in that 101 degree weather, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> Taking on. Uh, Andrade, which uh, I thought would be match of the night, and I was pretty much right. Uh, to me, this was the match of the night. Yeah, this was probably the match of the night. Um, one of the best Finn Balor entrances. One of the best entrances for the Demon. Um, he had a lot of little fake demons around, and the coolest part uh, is, of course, him lifting up, but it really wasn't at like the apex of the lift. It was right when he first started to lift up, it was like, it seemed like supernatural for a second. Sure. And then, of course, you realize. Then, of course, you realize very plainly. Okay, he's just on a platform. But for a second, just lifting up a little bit, very, very cool visual because it it seemed like he was truly rising up. Sure. Um, I guess out of hell and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, wherever where the what demons from. Demons reside. Sure, right? but he, he's the demon king. Doesn't mean he technically is a. Uh, I guess he calls himself the demon. I don't know. It's all very confusing. Hey, Darren, I thought about this when I watched the show. Do you think they they wanted him to be Demon King Finn Balor? That way, he wouldn't have any uh, rainbow colors on his uh, on his person. Probably. Although I think, wouldn't it be equally as problematic to present like a westernized version? Of, like, a demon. Sure. Um, I realized that even the Western version of the demon, like, a D, like, D, even in demonology, like, Christian demonology and, like, Muslim demonology, it has similar roots in that sort of Southwest Asia, Mesopotamian, uh, like, uh, Abrahamic tradition of what demons are. So maybe it's not as problematic, but it still seems like it would be a little problematic right? to be like promoting a demon because he's not a heel. Well, maybe they're lightening up. Maybe they're lightening up on some of their, their ways. Uh, Renee came back. Renee uh, Young came back to do yeah. some commentary. I guess they figured they didn't have to stop Renee from talking. Michael Cole will do that. Oh, Schweppes moment. Uh Another Schweppes moment brought to you by Schweppes. Schweppes, a sparkling tradition since 1783. Oh, yeah, I mean, and I got, we could see Renee's hair. Yeah. And her, and her teeth and her fingers. I mean, I, I was, 
I was afraid that people like that young boys were going to get turned on. Well, I was sweating. Uh, you, you think those wrestlers uh, competing in 101 degree heat were sweating? I was sweating at the very the very thought of her knees, what her her <laughs> ankles and knees might look like under that commentary table. God, did you see the picture of that entire get up? She had a full body picture on her Instagram. I did see it. And like that it was, was a ridiculous outfit. It was basically looked like she was wearing a parachute, like a bedazzled parachute. Who <laughs> is she, MC Hammer? Pretty much. I think she may have borrowed that from MC Hammer. Uh, she borrowed it from MC Hammer. That makes a lot of sense. And then she gave it back to him full of sweat like no. pain. <laughs> Man, I could use a putty knife to get all your sweat off these parachute pants, Renee. Uh, that makes me like Renee less. Oh no, it doesn't. Gotta love, gotta love Nay Nay. Hey, just, just walk away, Renee. Please. <laughs> please, Renee, don't hurt him. <laughs> but Finn Balor wins the match, retains the IC belt, um, and uh, and so now we've got the best. And now that that's out of the way, now that the Universal Title match is already over with, and Brock Lesnar has already flown all the way to Saudi Arabia. And that's over with. And now that Finn Balor and Andrade have had the best match of the night, and that's over with, we still have seven matches to go. <laughs> and next, the best in the world, <laughs> as they're calling him, Shane McMahon with Drew McIntyre at his side takes on Roman Reigns. And the first thing I have to say about this match is there are two men in the ring who are wrestling each other in 101 degree weather and they are both wearing full clothes they are both wearing <laughs> right shirts and pants meanwhile there is a man he's a scottish psychopath he is standing outside of the ring he is not wrestling and he is wearing only underwear <laughs> this is that one moment that I, I give non-wrestling fans credit once or twice a year. This is going to be my first, maybe my only, but certainly one of at the most two times. I'm going to give a little bit of credence to non-wrestling fans and their argument that why you want to watch these guys roll around and sweating wearing their underwear? That don't make no sense. Okay. First of all, it does make sense if they are rolling around wrestling each other in their underwear in the ring competitively. But no, it doesn't make sense for Drew McIntyre, who is not booked to wrestle, to get on an airplane and fly all the way from the United States to Saudi Arabia and then strip down to his underwear and watch a match. <laughs> That's a ridiculous thing to look at in that context. It's confusing because he is in full ring gear, and also he has his own interest music. He comes out after Shane does, and for a minute there I thought, did this become a handicap match, and I wasn't paying attention? It was very confusing. Uh, it probably should have been a handicap match, to be honest with you, just more exhibition-y. Um, but, uh, oddly enough, Roman Reigns... Loses to Shane McMahon 
uh, in Saudi Arabia. It must be McManamania over there, Darren, because it is. because they, they must think that he is actually legitimately the best in the world. So, No, that's the thing. I think that that's what's happened. Is they now think Shane McMahon is <laughs> the best in the world. And, like, it's that's not a good thing. That so we'll not- see Shane versus Undertaker at the next uh, Saudi Arabia show. Legend versus legend. We want Shane, the great Shane, to take on the great Undertaker. Oh, my God. That Probably. And Shane will win. <laughs> next up, Lars Sullivan takes on the Lucha House Party. Here's your handicap match. And and why is this happening? Who wanted this to happen match? Uh, This isn't that bad, though. Like, for what it is, it's really not that bad. Like, you and I have been, again, all bodybuilding forum uh, messages (laughs) aside, you and I have both been fans of Lars Sullivan for a long time. Sure. We watched him for months and months and months live before he ever even came to NXT television, much less um, to, to the main roster. I think he's excellent as a, as far as a performer. Apparently he's very problematic. If he's, if he's not causing trouble with shit from the past being brought up, then he's having mental issues. If he's not having mental issues, he's apparently now he's injured. He's got physical issues. That's happened just since Super Showdown. He gets bloody mouth pretty pretty regularly, I've noticed. Uh, I well, don't know what he does. Ric Flair, Ric Flair used to get bloody mouth just by shooting a promo on Nitro. So well, sure, sure. I, I mean, you know, a blood getting bloody mouth isn't necessarily going to put you on the DL. Uh, but doesn't make but, you look good if you're trying to squash three cruiserweights, though. Is my thing. That's it's true. Like they're they're kicking that guy's ass. He's bleeding in the mouth. Uh, is, is my thing. If, if you're going to make this a squash, it needs to be a squash. If, if he's going to... Not a zucchini. Exactly, exactly. If, if he's going to wrestle... I don't want to say legitimate wrestlers, that's not fair. If you, he, he needs to wrestle like, like heavier people to be a legitimate tough guy. We talked about this, to where it doesn't matter if you beat up three local talents who weigh 100 pounds apiece... That doesn't make your big guy look any bigger or tougher. It just means you fed these three local guys to one of your big guys. It doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? So this this match keeps happening, too. It happened again on Raw following Super Showdown. And it's just like, no one wants to see this. Fans of the, the members of Lucha House Party don't want to see them just lose to Lars Sullivan every week. Um, or get beaten up by Lars Sullivan. Because it's, it's a joke. You know, it's a joke to Vince McMahon. You know what I mean? Of course. That's exactly what this is. This is a joke. To him, this is King Kong Bundy fighting Little Beaver. Sure, sure. And that, I mean, and that is a, that's just a disservice to all these people. I will say, I I still, I wish desperately for a breakout for Lince Dorado. Um, As far as WWE luchadors, He's my guy, and I, and I wish I wish better for him. Uh, all of Lucha House Party looked kind of cool and wrestled pretty well, uh, but Lince Dorado looked the best of all. So, doesn't matter. Lars Sullivan wins uh, this match by disqualification. 
Uh, but he does win this match. Also, you, your big guy wins by disqualification? Like, what's happening? What's going on? Yeah, yeah it doesn't make you look good. And, yeah. In a uh, handicap match, win by disqualification. Well, Triple H takes on the Viper, Randy Orton. And, again, as problematic as the Demon might be, I always find it funny that they still promote Triple H as the king of kings. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the boss of bosses is what we're going to call him. Uh. Yeah, they need, they need to bring Jericho back just once so he can refer to himself as the Ayatollah, Ayatollah. Yeah, yeah, of Rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Chris Jericho found dead in a Saudi Arabian <laughs> desert. After main eventing WWE show, big surprise. <laughs> He's like Hulk Hogan if no one knew who the fuck Hulk Hogan was. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Hey, oh wait, hold on, let me dust off this line from your book. <clears throat> you have done far more damage than <laughs> I ever could. Hey, 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 Hulk Hogan is and was a household name. Chris Jericho, not so much. To be fair. Okay, that's all. Well, you know what Jim Cornette said? I'm sure it was something very nice about someone. Yes, that uh, he said this about Hulk Hogan, but I'm going to say uh, Chris Jericho may be a household name, but so is garbage, and it stinks when it gets old, too. Wow. Wow. Only Jim Cornette. Golly, what a nice guy. Um all right, so Randy Orton and Triple H fighting in the desert. The King of Kings is fighting a snake. So this is sort of like Cleopatra and the Asp. And, right? Sure. Something like no, that. no, no. I'm with you on that. Sure, sure. And, uh, and much like Cleopatra and the Asp, uh, humans don't have venom and snakes do. And uh, that's, that's, all it, that's all it takes is a little bit. Uh, of a spot-on strike from a venomous serpent, and Randy Orton defeats Triple H. Yeah, it takes two RKOs to do it, but it does happen. I thought the last one was kind of very, very unexciting. Triple H just kind of lunges forward from the turnbuckle, and Randy Orton just hits him with an RKO and pins him. It, it's a good match. It is a good match. And again, they're wrestling in ungodly heat. Um, but uh, it's it's as good of a match as you would expect from these two. Which is to say, it is a good match. So, it's just, does it, I mean, you know, it's, it, when you see, like, Triple H versus Randy Orton, Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler, Goldberg versus The Undertaker, you have to wonder what fucking year is this. Well, well you also have to, like, I agree. And despite all the criticism that has come and may come in the next couple of minutes, Goldberg versus Undertaker is still... The only one of those matches that would get me excited. Sure. That, that I, and Renee Young's ankles and fingertips. That's true. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Braun Strowman, the monster among men, takes on the almighty Bobby Lashley. Another... <laughs> Yeah. They needed to rethink the nicknames for this show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley. I mean, here's your 
here's your Lars Sullivan versus big guy. Sure. I mean, at least you're getting what you want in here that what are they what well, what do they say? Uh steel sharpens steel or what is that? Iron, iron, iron sharpens iron. No, iron Iron Sharpens Iron. This is actually the first time I actually thought Bobby Lashley was used the right way since he's been back in WWE. I actually think this was a good match. For Strowman and Lashley, I was very surprised by how good this match was. Um, so I thought this was great. I thought this was perfect. I thought this is this is how you should have been using these guys all along. Uh, yeah, so I was actually, I enjoyed it very much. I'll, I'll go ahead and say Strowman does win the match. He does eventually get the power slam off on Lashley, but, uh, no, and they're going like, oh, here comes Braun Strowman, mighty Braun Strowman, Ken Lashley, and it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Lashley is a monster. Like, don't act like Lashley's not a fucking giant dude, because he is. Yeah, and because he is, that's why, uh, this is a good match up. Now that means at that point it's incumbent upon these two to make the most of what is a good matchup. And they did. They really did. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you that this, I mean, not the most technical match in the world, but it shouldn't be. No, no, uh, no. It, it's, it's what it needed its to be. In its own way, it lives up to what it needs to be. And so in its own way, it's kind of one of the better matches of the night. Right, I mean, for a match that I was very dismissive of going into Super Showdown, I was pleasantly surprised by it as I as I saw it happen. So, good on you, Strowman and Lashley. Yeah, good on you for making me care about Bobby Lashley, if only for one night. Right, sure. Next up, the WWE title is on the line as WWE Champion Kofi Kingston defends against the show-off Dolph Ziggler. And as we know, this whole program is predicated upon Kevin Owens or Kevin Steen for a shoot refusing to go to Saudi Arabia in support of his friend being banned from Saudi Arabia. That friend, of course, being Sami Zayn. Dolph Ziggler being pulled off of the road, uh, and by the road, we don't mean... The wrestling road. We don't mean the wrestling circuit. We mean the stand-up comedy circuit. Dolph Ziggler had taken off uh, months and had planned to still be off to be uh, continuing his side career as a stand-up comedian. Nevertheless, pulled back into the WWE universe to fight Kofi in the deserts of Saudi Arabia. And for a thrown-together program, it's not bad. Sure. Sure, sure. Again, it makes you say, what year is it? Again, everybody knows I'm not a fan of Kofi Kingston being the champion. But all of that being considered, all of that negativity, not a bad matchup, really, and not a bad build. They 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 managed to give Ziggler just enough airtime for him to get himself over as someone seeking this championship. Sure, sure. No, I said it going into Super Showdown. This I did say, that it would be a fine match uh, because these guys have wrestled a billion times before. I think even they mentioned, of course, they have to spout out facts about, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, how many times things have been done. But I think they said that 
These two have fought for every single title in WWE except for the Universal title. They mentioned that. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That's a that's a that actually is an interesting statistic. That is they, interesting. Yes. Yeah, they'll they'll give an interesting statistic every every great now and then. But the later on, Michael Cole informs of informs us of uh, General Hall being the youngest twenty four seven champion. Uh, <laughs> wow. And it's like, stop it, stop it. Yeah. Yeah, those uh, those ironic comments are not funny. No, uh, it's also funny because he refers to him as well. General Hall's in the ring, uh, former twenty four seven champion. How about former WWE heavyweight champion Michael Cole? Anywho, we'll we'll get to that match. We'll get to that match. But this match, I mean, well, there's not much to say about this match. This uh, Michael Cole's the Michael Cole's the worst. <laughs> he is. Uh, but there's not much to say about the match except for it's as good as you would expect it to be because these are both. Uh, good performers, even now they were a decade ago, and they still are today. Um, so it's it's going to be a good match. Kofi does retain the belt, of course. Uh, no big surprise there. Again, you don't expect any big title changes to happen uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, so, but uh, yeah, Dolph Ziggler uh, put on a good match for someone who's pulled off the road and hasn't really wrestled a whole lot. He sure did uh, do a, a typical Dolph Ziggler job, and I mean that in both. Uh, in both ways, I suppose. Uh, so. Next up, the penultimate match in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, is this unprecedented first time ever 50-man battle royal. A single ring, all 50 men in the ring to start. You, you can't move. There's no moving. <laughs> and the Singh brothers go out immediately. The, I, I feel sorry for those guys. Like, Why? They're gainfully employed by WWE. Uh, I know, but that's, again, that's, I hate that answer. I it's know. Not, it's I not know. wrong. It's not wrong. As a matter of fact, it's, it's absolutely right. They're, the Singh brothers don't feel sorry for the Singh brothers. Only I do, sure. right? Like, but I, I just think of the, the things they could do, the things they have done, and now they're right back to the very, very first gimmick they had, which is to come out doing Bollywood style dances and just being, uh, ju just being cruiserweight jokes for Vince to point and laugh at. Right. I, I do recall when we saw the NXT house show that the Scene Brothers came out and did a promo. It was the first time as heels doing promos. And uh, <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what their names are individually. Uh, my apologies. But one of them walked over to us as he was walking to the ring and he was like, You wish, you wish you could dance as good as, as we could, or as, as good as we can. And I was like, I do. I do wish that we could dance as good as you. And he was like, Yes, you do. I'm glad we agree on that. And he walked away. And then they went into the ring and they cut their promo and they got out of the ring and they're walking by and people are booing him or whatever. And he walks over to us and he looks at us and he's like, don't worry, I'm not going to get you guys. I know you guys are cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh, that's that's hilarious. They're they're my new favorite tag team now because they're regular fucking people. So. Yeah. But then that gimmick went away because then that, and that's my point exactly, like, 
two weeks later, they were on the main roster and they were with Jinder Mahal. Right, right. And good for them to go back to the old gimmick, I guess. That way Randy Orton won't drop you know, them on their heads uh, and laugh about it. Uh, All right, so here's the thing about this Battle Royal, though. Like, I... L- we... We ran it down before it ever happened. We said it was going to be bad, and we said it was going to be unfollowable. The worst part is we weren't wrong. <laughs> I didn't like. I I don't think I understood a single thing that was happening until it was over. And they kept doing like the like the people get thrown out, but they hold on to the second rope. Like, oh, my feet didn't touch. Ooh, and it's like, don't do that. Just just fall out or don't. Like I, that's that's so irritating. Just just leave the ring, please. Get it down to like ten people. Make it manageable. Now the worst part about this match is it wasn't full of cool surprises. No. That's what we wanted. Like, that was going to be the silver lining here. It was like, okay, I'm sure we're going to have to see sad old Carl Anderson and Apollo Crews, and and we did. But, like, for every one of them, we're going to get to see, like, I, I don't know, Velveteen Dream. Oh, or like, sure, sure, you know, sure. Matt Riddle was heavily rumored. Or like we thought we would see something like that. Nope. No, no. Battle Royal is not a place for that because you can't do like one thing at a time. Everything's in the ring, so it can't be like, ooh, but five of them are master wrestlers. We'll find out who they are later. You know, like you, you can't do that. So uh Titus though certainly does hide under the ring, because that's his new thing to do things under the ring. He comes in and throws out both uh Viking Raiders. And it was just like, oh, well, fuck those guys. Um, there, there's a lot of odd things that happen in this match. But I think the oddest thing is who wins the match? Who endures 49, 49 WWE superstars? Well, it's got to be somebody that is physically imposing. Sure. Uh, that That's career is rich with... Uh, all sorts of diverse experience. Sure, maybe someone who's tenured, uh, and someone who the fans and, and definitely know. Right. Yeah, yeah, they'll be extremely well known. Someone who's been on the main roster for at least a year, or maybe even at least a day. Uh, something. Or maybe when they raise the winner's arm, I will literally say, who? Yeah, no, I, I, I will be someone who has watched wrestling for 30 years and throughout the entire match go, who's that guy? Is that Mustafa Ali? No, that's not Mustafa Ali. Who's that guy? The entire match. And then when I realize, oh, that guy's final 10. Oh, that guy's final four. Oh, that guy's final two. Oh, that guy won. Yes, Mansoor. Mansoor, everyone's favorite. You can buy his t-shirt on WWE.com. Oh, no, you can't, because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, Mansoor, too close to Mantar. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Until Mansoor was the worst WWE wrestler of all time. Wow. So, um... Yeah, it it's obvious why Mansoor won. No, no, that's a terrible 
terrible, terrible way to book. Sure, sure. That 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 might be the ultimate pandering. That might be the ultimate pandering. Um, if I if I were like the if I were the the audience, I'd be like, nah. Hmm. No, that that might be the most undeserving "you deserve it" chant I've ever heard in wrestling. Yeah. Is that is that mean to say? I, I don't mean it to be mean. It's just I I understand that wrestling is something that's predetermined. The outcomes are predetermined. It's all it's all hashtag fake bullshit. But that one just kind of left me feeling like dirty. Like, ugh, ugh, I don't know. It was weird. It was strange. I could. I couldn't agree more. I don't care. I have no dog on the fight. At the end of the day, life goes on no matter who wins and who it doesn't fucking matter. Literally anyone could have won that match and I would I still wouldn't care. So but this okay. was just so this was so uh so spoon-fed. It was just like, eh. Well, even if you don't have a dog in the fight, wrestling fans have 50 dogs in this fight. Sure, sure. 50 dogs and I think he would have probably been the last one anybody wanted to win. Literally. Right. And this is only because he didn't exist to anyone until this night. So you, right. you can't get excited about someone that no one knows about is, is the biggest issue with that. It, yeah, it, it like, he he could have been a fan of the audience. They said, hey, you know what? We love Jetta so much. One of you fans gonna come on in and participate in the fifty man royal, and then like, oh my god, holy shit, this fan won this battle royal. That would have been more interesting than oh, this new wrestler you don't know is in this thing, and oh, he won. And who is this Saudi fan? It's Nicholas. <laughs> I still say Nicholas wrestling, and his father throwing Nicholas out, heel turning his own son. Next year, next year WWE, next year. Uh, so that's that. The Battle Royal is, is the, mo the most prestigious, biggest Battle Royal ever, as Byron Saxton said, uh, is won by uh, Mansoor, which was the wrong Mansoor, if you ask me, <laughs> to who should win the... Who should win the battle royal? Uh, so you you were looking you were looking for a play on answer, correct? And I was trying to come up with a, a play on eyesore. <laughs> I, I, think so, we, I think we got our point across. We got our point across. Uh, that does take us to the main event, though, folks. The main event for the no title whatsoever. It is Goldberg versus the Undertaker. First time. Dot dot dot. Ever, just want to emphasize how first time this is. It hasn't it happened is. before. It is the first time ever, and this match was exactly what we said it was. Even what we jokingly said it was, it was. I think we mentioned something about it's not going to be a wrestling match so much as it's going to be them literally falling over on each other, and that's literally what happened. Um, the first quarter of this match was pretty promising, though, Darren. It started off real strong, and I was like, holy shit, this might actually be a wrestling match. And then, and I, and then no. I think, that you're, I think that you're right, and I, and I actually, I'm going to say you actually mean the first quarter of the wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, not just the first quarter meaning the entrances. Um, <laughs> Goldberg, it seemed like Goldberg was not going to come out. Like he just no-showed because his music, I didn't know his music was that long. His music played so long, Darren. It did play a portion of it that I've never heard before. 
where the 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 pitch kept getting higher and higher. Yeah, again. yeah. The, like, the the free bird solo kicks in because um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's how long that fucking song is apparently. Now that was in in the top ten coolest Undertaker entrances ever, um, and definitely the coolest one in six or eight years. So that was cool. So, but entrances aside, the actual match did start off very well. Like, <laughs> to the point that I thought this this could work. Sure. This this match um, was like a roller coaster ride. If the roller coaster ride is <laughs> you're having a lot of fun, but then it, it just stops all of a sudden. And it has to be closed down for repair. And you have to be <laughs> especially escorted off the roller coaster. And then, and then as you're being escorted <laughs> off the roller coaster, then the roller coaster falls off the track and kills you anyway. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what it was like. Um, because, I mean, it all goes to hell. Obviously, the, the heat played a big factor uh, in both these guys. Again, the, these are not spring chickens. These are... These are uh, older gentlemen, we'll say. Um, these men are in their 50s, these Perry. These men are in their 50s, Perry. Uh, Goldberg, he, he tackles the, the, the turnbuckle railing, uh, which just opens him up. I, I don't know if it was because he always he typically headbutts the door of his dressing room when the security guards uh, escort him away. So you can see that red dot. Um, oh, yeah. We, we know that he did it because... You when saw he the finally thud. did come out of his door, he already was bleeding. Yeah, yeah. You, you hear a thud, and the door shakes. Then he comes out, he's got the red dot. Uh, but after he he does that turnbuckle spot, he comes out of it, and he's just gushing blood. And I think he just lost way too much blood. He became very lightheaded because Goldberg is not running on all cylinders uh, after that spot happens. Um, and, and some pretty dangerous stuff kind of happens. Um Goldberg jackhammers, and I'll use quotations, The Undertaker. Um, obviously, that in that condition, that was not going to happen. Undertaker's also not a little guy. He's a, That's a big guy. So it's like, goes up for the jackhammer. You know, typically the, you know, Taker would like straighten his legs while being held up in midair, but there is no time for that. It's more of a, sup- it's more of a suplex uh, than, a, than a jackhammer. And man, like, Taker lands squarely on his shoulders, which I've never seen happen before, you know, from the jackhammer. And, oh, man, of course, Taker kicks out of that. It's, oh, there's, there's so many spots. Undertaker, of course, Tombstone pile drives Goldberg. Um, maybe he was holding Goldberg a little too low. But uh, when he does the Tombstone, you see Goldberg's head hit the mat. And uh, there's slow motion replays of it all over the internet so if you want to go you know torture yourself go check it out um but thank christ goldberg has those giant neck muscles because that probably saved his life yes yes um goldberg has since come out to say that he gave himself a concussion yeah um whether or not that's true we don't know when did it happen uh, did he get the concussion from being dropped on his head by the Undertaker? Did he get the concussion from hitting the the railing? Did he get the concussion from headbutting his locker room door? Possibly. Like, did he not have a concussion at all? Was he suffering from a combination 
uh, of blood loss and dehydration. Oh, and being 54 years old. <laughs> did uh, The Undertaker make a, a, a simple mistake with the, the, the tombstone? And then Goldberg was giving Taker a receipt with that botched jackhammer. Um, what did they unintentionally or intentionally or accidentally uh, or even unknowingly, in the case of a possible concussion, due to each other, we don't know. We know that the two of them were very dissatisfied with the match. We know that the two of them, that being Goldberg and The Undertaker, got into a shouting match in the gorilla position, which meant in front of many people. So even if it stays uh, in-house secret, it's in-house is well-known because there were, there had to have been, I'm sure, for the main event, Gorilla Position probably had 8, 10, 12 people in there. Oh, sure, um, sure. Here's what I'm going to say about it. it. The match shouldn't have happened. We said that the week before. We said that as soon as we heard about it. They're, they're too old. You're putting too much pressure on them. You're asking too much from them. Uh, I, I'm not saying they have to go to a retirement home, but they need to possibly entertain the idea of retirement from professional wrestling. It's okay to not do it anymore. They called Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair old when they were 42, and you guys are a decade plus older than that. You don't need to be main eventing a WrestleMania equivalent show. It's not entirely your fault. Secondly, botches included, this match is not as bad as the internet wrestling has made it out to be. I would agree with that. Obviously, the ending was botched horribly. Clearly, Goldberg was supposed to tombstone pile drive the Undertaker, or go for it at least. Um, tries to get him in the tombstone and just drops him, just falls. Taker immediately realizes there's an issue and just choke slams him, like probably having to pick him up himself because it was a it was not a great choke slam and just pins Goldberg. He's like, okay, that's it, let's just go home. Like, <laughs> like it's all gone to hell. Let me just pin you, um, and that's kind of how it ends. So mistakes were made. Um, you would not know the severity of that first tombstone pile driver unless you saw another angle of it and, and people going, oh, well, check it out, because it didn't look like that at all uh, from just watching Super Showdown. Um, if not for the internet, I would not have been aware of it actually like being as bad as it was. Um, but, uh, I mean, what, what would you... I don't know what you would expect from this match anyway. Like, they're not going to have a great match now. Um, it's just That's just the way it is. But, like, I hate the build-up. They referred to... They refer to Goldberg as like the greatest WCW champion in history. And I was just like, yeah, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and Sting. Fuck those guys. Um, so stuff like that I hate. Um, but uh, yeah, this match. These were big stars 20 years ago. And that's probably when this match should have happened. Not now. So <laughs> that, that's on you, WWE. Uh, so anywho, that was it super. Is. Sh- it, it, is on, it is on them. That is in on the end. Yeah. So, but that's Super Showdown. I hope uh, Jetta felt they got their money's worth. Uh, I feel like WWE Universe 
they, they feel a little bit slighted, but uh, the show itself wasn't great. Easily forgettable. Couple of good batches, but uh, yeah, not a show that I'd revisit anytime soon. Uh, that's just the way it is. But but folks, did you like the Super Showdown? Did you like Dominion? Did you wish Effie a happy birthday? Let us know. There are a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Twitter, Refn Show Podcast. That's R E F N S H O W P O D C A S T. Find us on Facebook, like and share. We would appreciate that. If you want to send us a Gmail. You can do that, the whole reference show at gmail.com, T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com, or we are on Instagram. You know it. We know it. You love us. We love you. We're on Instagram as the whole reference show. Come play with us in our pretty pictures. Come play with us in our pretty pictures, folks, and our pretty characters on Twitter, I guess. Uh, let's go. Uh, well, that's it, folks. One thirty is down, Darren. We're making our way to that illustrious 150 and then, oh, 200. My, my, my. It's going to happen one day and I'm going to feel old when it does. Very old. Uh, but until that day, folks, I'm going to be Perry Smith. And my, my, hey, hey, the incredible badass Darren Beasley is here to stay. That's right. Here to stay. You can find the incredible badass Darren Beasley and myself here on the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. That would be the whole ref and show. We'll see you next week, folks. So long. Bye-bye.